This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Composite Two-Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast with a couple of one-star hosts, Chris 10K Trevino and Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Part of the USCfootball.com podcast family. The Cilantro Boys talk about everything from commitment breakdowns, game analysis, old recruiting stories, and, of course, some unsubstantiated rumors. And now, here are your hosts, 18K and Gerald. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits. We hope you had a great Fourth of July holiday weekend. Gerard, how was your Fourth of July? Fourth of July was good. Kids got to do fireworks. It wasn't too hot outside. Fireworks are crazy expensive, though, these days. Like, they're out of control expensive. I don't know if that's just a California thing, but, yeah, uh, it was like 400-something dollars for the most expensive one. Yeah, and I think... Someone was telling me that that was a price that was more closer to like $900 a few weeks ago. But, it, you know, they start uh, slashing prices as it gets closer to the 4th of July. So somebody was saying that uh, the Big Bang box was on for like $4.99. And I'm like, dude, that's like the price of a Xbox Series X. You know how much more enjoyment and entertainment you're going to get out of that as opposed to lighting fireworks off for a couple hours. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's become an expensive holiday, but it was a good holiday. You know, everybody was safe. Nobody blew any uh, digits off and uh, it wasn't uh, too hot. So, you know, got the barbecue going and had some ribs. And, you know, I'm always looking big, forward. Big ribs. Yeah. Barbecue. Yeah. Big rib them. guy. Hurricane. Yeah. Well, it sounds sure. like you guys are a big uh, fireworks group on July 4th. We are not. So uh, we have dogs. Obviously, they don't like fireworks but yeah never really been into the whole fireworks thing but have done it some years but i I didn't know fireworks were huge in the ie i should have assumed they were huge in the ie they are they are very big they're very they're very not legal fireworks that are going off all over (laughs) the place so it's always it's a bigger show than just the fireworks we get we don't light off anything illegal that gets into the air i mean i've done that in the past but not you know recently and but we don't have to um here where i live there are plenty going off everywhere in every block you can see. It's kind of like San Antonio. You know, when we go to San Antonio for the mm-hmm. All-American game and it's around New Year's, uh, sometimes we were down there for New Year's and you'd be in the hotel and you could just look out your window and, man, the whole horizon just lights yeah. up uh, at New Year's with fireworks. So uh, it, it, it might be a Latino thing, you know. <laughs> I don't know. There's like, a cilantro boy thing. There's a common thread there, you know, San Antonio and where I live in the IE. Uh, and uh, so the celebration always has to uh, have fireworks with it. And it it goes weeks up to 4th of July. And even here with uh, New Year's, you hear it 
you know, the weeks coming up, you know, the day after Christmas, you hear the M80s and, um, you know, the cherry bombs going off in the, in the, in the distance. Well, speaking of fireworks, there were a couple of fireworks for USC going into July 4th. And we're going to talk about those latest commitments with three-star cornerback Braylon Conley and three-star defensive tackle David Pale Pale, two of USC's latest additions, because we knew those commitments were coming up the last time we were on composite two-star recruits, but we could only preview those commitments. It was a busy, busy week for USC as they racked up five commitments, so we're going to rehash those two there at the end. We're going to talk about Draylon Miller and Ty Anthony Smith. We have some commitment dates on the horizon that have been set in stone for the Trojans. Then we're going to do a kind of a look back at USC's class, which has moved up to number five in the country with 17 commits. Well, we did a projection of that, you know, kind of going into the June recruiting period. Now that June is over, we're into July. We're going to take a look back and and see what has changed, what has shifted, what those numbers stand with. Uh, we were at the Battle of Beach over the weekend. And then Hurricane mentioned Blue Bloods last week. So I just wanted to get his kind of take on what are the Hurricane Blue Blood college programs? You know, this is a very distinct list. So he's going to give us his thoughts on Blue Blood college programs and then some listener questions. So don't expect it to be a long show, but we're going to see how long this one goes. But before we get into the cold open, just a quick shout out to the official sponsor of the composite two-star recruits. That is Meredith Schlosser, the number one real estate agent in Los Angeles with over $600 million in sales. You can learn more about Meredith and her team at www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Again, you can check her out at, at Meredith Real Estate, her business Instagram, and see all the listings she has up there. Gerard, cold open time. Pretty easy for this episode because, as I mentioned, USC picked up two commitments over the weekend. The first one. Came on Friday. That's Humble, Texas. Ascatita. Can you help me out here, George? <laughs> I, I help me out. A Tuscacita. A Tuscacita. <laughs> you you, you attack a Tuscacita in a very interesting, unique way. You're going to get us banned. You're going to get us canceled the way you pronounce that one. How did I say it? I blacked out. I'm not going to repeat it. Okay. <laughs> a Tuscacita. A Tuscacita. Three-star cornerback. Cornerback Braylon Connerly went ahead and committed to USC. Pretty much was down to USC and Arkansas. Did it in a, I was going to say small family ceremony, but it looked pretty packed there on his live stream. But six foot, 170 pounds, a consensus three-star prospect in the 24-7 sports rankings and the 24-7 sports composite number 55 cornerback in the 27, 24-7 sports. God, I'm just all over the place uh, this morning. Uh, 24-7 sports composite in number 469 in the composite rankings, number 41 cornerback. Had offers from Auburn, Akron, House, uh, Arizona State, Colorado, Georgia, Louisville, Maryland, Michigan, Nebraska, Oregon. Had some impressive offers to his name, but in the end it came down to USC and Arkansas. Took his official visit in May, so he's kind of one of those early visitors before even June got going. Was he emoji? Was he not? We'll have to ask him down the line. But Braylon Connolly committed to USC, part of a five-man cornerback or defensive back class, excuse me, for Dante Williams, who has moved up to a top five recruiter in the nation nationally, number three in the Big Ten. 
But USC gets another cornerback, uh, five defensive backs. Gerard, what can you tell me about Mr. Braylon Conley from Humble, Texas? Yeah, we'll just uh, we'll just say he's from Humble, Texas from now on, Chris. <laughs> I appreciate uh, so it. We don't have to bleep anything during the podcast yeah. from a fumbled pronunciation. I really I really don't know what I said. I really I have to go back and listen <laughs> to it. When I go back and edit it out, maybe I'll bleep it. It was uh, it was awesome. I think with uh, Braylon Connolly, you kind of have that guy that USC had been looking for in the 2023 cycle. A physical boundary corner, has some length, has the aggressiveness and physicality to potentially be more of a nickel safety type of player, uh, but does play the cornerback position in high school. And when we broke down his film and talked about him a little bit going into his official visit back in May, I kind of compared him with some of the other defensive backs that USC had on the board and really looking at him versus a guy like Miles Davis, who was more of a straightforward safety prospect, a guy that's going to be a single high safety prospect. And film for film, I liked Braylon Braylon Connolly a little better because I saw a better nose for the football. I saw Mm -hmm. better tackling. Uh, I saw a kid that on the edge in run support was form tackling some of the ball carriers that were getting to the edge of the defense and a guy that really controlled the wide receiver off the press extremely well. We don't have any real verified times for him in terms of speed. So that's obviously something that we kind of have to see going forward. Is he a guy that can actually play wide side of the field or you want to put him on the boundary or potentially put him at nickel and make him more of a safety. I think he is that sort of tweener prospect that kind of blurs the line between is USC taking a safety here or are they taking a pure bona fide cornerback? We know they've got two bona fide cornerbacks in the class already in Dakota Fields and Marcellus Williams. I think with Dakota, you know, seeing his size, people are automatically going to go, well, that's a guy that you could play at safety. But I think he's a bona fide cornerback. Certainly once he gets into football shape again and we kind of see him uh, in a different light than we've maybe seen him just this offseason because he's coming back from an injury and clearly he's just not quite in the flow of football shape. You know, when we saw him play at the USC seven on seven tournament and he was still very good at that tournament, but he was definitely more uh, leaning on his physicality than his speed and some of the natural ability he has from a quickness standpoint. And so it's going to be interesting there, uh, you know, certainly across the board, three cornerbacks in USC's class that are solid from that standpoint. When you're talking about physicality, you're talking about press. Um, I think overall, Marcellus Williams is the best technically, probably by a good margin. And I think the best athlete of that group is Dakota Fields. And I think maybe the most physical is Brandling Connolly. So uh, it's a it's a good group. It's a solid group. I think that, you know, USC, because Connolly could potentially slide over and play more of a nickel type of safety position, will still look to try to take Zabian Brown. If Zabian Brown said, hey, I want to be a Trojan, I don't think USC is going to turn him down because Zabian Brown is the best pure corner of that group. And if they were going to take him um, or they had the opportunity to get his commitment, I don't think that would uh, necessarily change anything here um, looking at uh, the commitment from Connolly. So um, that's sort of the breakdown of him in a nutshell. We probably talked about it a little more 
pre-visit, post-visit, uh, when he mis- visited in May. Uh, but I think, you know, from a secondary standpoint, it's another physical corner. It's another big guy, you know, six foot type of player, uh, long uh, and has that ability uh, to play the press. Uh, what USC is really looking for is, you know, the the missing piece of the puzzle is Xavier Brown because he is the guy that's got a little more speed. He's a little more of your prototypical wide side field corner. And the difference being just to kind of review for folks that may have not you know, heard us talk about this between the difference of boundary corner and field corner. Um, if it's played in that sort of classic traditional sense defensively is that your field corner is the guy is going to have the agility and the speed. He's got the field to cover. So there's a little more that can go on there. The receiver has a little more route wise uh, that he can do as opposed to being on the field side or excuse me, opposed to being on the boundary side, which is uh, the closer sideline where you don't have as much room. And so, a bigger cornerback that's a little more physical can be a little more successful because that receiver just doesn't have as much field to play with, to be able to move and get around. And you can't schematically really do quite as much, even in the, uh, the, the screen game, you know, running tunnel screens and what have you um, sometimes, you know, with the bubble screens, that's become a new part of the RPO that defenses have to take on. And they are getting bigger at cornerback because, in the back in the day when I was playing football, it was all about the outside linebackers and the defensive ends being containment. You know, that was that was sort of number one on your list. Don't allow the offense to break containment. That is that is key number one if you're playing on the line of scrimmage on the edge, whether you're a defensive end or you're an outside linebacker that's moved up to the edge. And now with the RPO and you have so much game uh, outside the hashes and there's blocking going on and they're put, put tight ends out there on you. You got to have more physical corners that can be able to shed those blocks and make some plays. And I think that is more than anything on film, what Braylon Connolly's strength is. It's being able to get off a block and make a solid tackle. It's not a, I slow guys down. It's not a, you know, here's a nice highlight clip of me getting an assistant tackle as uh, one of my other yeah. guys, you know, uh, hits, hits the, hits the, the ball carrier. Uh, as I get there, he is doing a lot of solo tackling on the edge. I mean, he, he tackles a guy, they go down. And I like to see that. I like to see that crisp sort of at the point of contact, bringing some violence, bringing some aggressiveness and bringing some technique. I mean, he's got good technique when it comes to tackling. So that's definitely a, a credit to the Atuscasitas coaching staff and, you know, them showing up their guys and saying, listen, man, this, this is how you get your head around. This is how you get your shoulder square and you got to make these tackles in open space. And that's a big part of uh, playing defensive back these days, uh, whether you're playing in the nickel or you're playing in a boundary or field corner, you are now taking a lot more responsibility for the containment of uh, trying to keep the offense from, from getting around you. Yeah. The tackling certainly jumped out when you throw on his tape. It's one of the like most physical good tackler cornerbacks I've seen in a minute, you know, just watching huddle tape because too many times, even when we ISO guys at, uh, in football games, you know, a lot of those cornerbacks or those safeties just kind of run up to the pile and just kind of maybe just throw their shoulder in a little bit, but no, Braylon yeah. Connolly is, is making tackles like a, almost like a linebacker. That's how physical he is. And like you said, good form tackling, good technique. So USC is getting a good tackler. They can put, uh, potentially near the line of scrimmage if you move him to nickel, which is obviously something this defense needs to turn around going from 2022 and the year prior, which is really bad tackling. So getting a good tackler in Braylon Connolly with that pickup 
And Gerard, I don't think we did categories for these May 24th uh, visitors. I'm not sure about that, but yeah, we did. You th- You're talking did? about the, the May group. Yeah. With uh, Edric Houston. And well, do you remember uh, where he was at Braylon Connolly? He was, a, he was a closer. He was absolutely okay. a closer. So you had guys like uh, Miles Davis, which were kind of an unknown, never unofficial, unofficially visited USC. And so there were some guys that we just weren't really necessarily sure about uh, with Edric Houston. That was a guy that USC was trying to get some traction with, trying to basically get their foot in the door with, you know, another guy that hadn't been to USC unofficially. And at that point in time, everybody was saying Alabama was the leader, Ohio State's number one, and there's a big gap with everybody else. And so we were trying to get a feel for, okay, you know, how serious is Edric Houston going to be about USC? Where does Miles Davis sit in? Uh, Brian Wesco had just been offered like uh, three or four weeks earlier uh, in the May evaluation period. So that was kind of a late offer that USC gave. And boom, next thing you know, he's on campus. Um, but out of that group, Berlin Connolly was kind of the one guy that already unofficially visited USC. And so that official visit was a follow-up, and he had already raved a lot about USC and been pretty excited about getting back on campus. So we felt like, yeah, for sure, it was a closer. That was the one guy, I think, you know, doing that podcast, we talked about being a potential guy that could commit out of that visit. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of surprising that he wasn't, you know, that maybe, you know, there was there was maybe not the green light for him to commit, and, and he was going to still visit Arkansas, what have you. And I don't know really what went on behind the scenes there, uh, but ultimately, he did pick up USC, and that was one of the only visits that he took. He he went to Arkansas as well, which he had previously scheduled, but it wasn't like he went on a bunch of other visits. Uh, there was kind of a gap there uh, that he had time to think, and USC, I guess, had time to think as well. Gerard, if there's nothing else you want to add about Mr. Braylon Connolly, I think we should shift over to the first July commitment uh, for USC's 2024 class happened on July 1st uh, on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, and that is Landisville, Pennsylvania, three-star defensive tackle David Palepale. An interesting kind of story. You know, he is coming out of Pennsylvania, but he's actually a Anchorage, Alaska native. His family moved there. Uh, the first Alaska native to commit to USC and potentially sign to USC since Brandon Peely, another big uh, Polynesian defensive lineman. So they have sort of that connection, but David Palepale went ahead and committed to USC over Michigan and Penn State, you know, two of those Big Ten powers and future Big Ten member USC gets him. He is a six foot three, 305 pound. He was initially listed at 288, but I talked to him and he said, you know, he checked in at 305 pounds. So he is bigger. He is gaining weight. Uh, Number 58 defensive lineman in the 24-7 sports rankings. Number 651 overall in the 24-7 sports composite. Number 62 defensive lineman. And again, USC wins this one over Michigan and Penn State. It sounds like it really came down to USC and Michigan for this one. But USC, Sean Nua, get their first true defensive lineman in the 2024 class. Gerard actually got to see uh, him in person, albeit briefly, walking around, not, not in a game or anything, but saw him on campus during his official visit there in uh in late june so gerard you can rehash some of those uh things that you saw when you just gotta you know uh, look at him yeah i mean not much to observe in that context he was getting on one of the carts to go take uh did the cart shift down did the cart (laughs) shift down is what they only when sean Nua leaned over to uh say (laughs) hey uh, i'll be in the next cart 
uh, right behind you. But um, how did his ankles look? He he's a sturdy built young man, and he carries 300 pounds really well. I mean, he's not a sloppy 300 pounds. And I think when you watch film, see a guy with a lot of quickness. Uh, he plays both the five technique, three technique. He's playing zero technique. Uh, he moves all around. He's clearly the most gifted defensive lineman on that team, and they want to be able to use him in different ways uh, to be able to really force the offensive line to have to try to adjust to him. I think at college he's going to be an interior guy for sure. Uh, he has some quickness. He has some pass rush ability. He's a bit more of a bruiser. I wouldn't necessarily call him you know, a, a true three technique that's going to be a guy that's going to uh, you know, change the way a college offensive line has to adjust their pass protection. But, but I love is, a bruiser, Gerard. I love is, a bruiser. He, he is strong. He can get off a block. He gets double teamed quite a bit at the high school level, which you would expect. Um, but uh, a guy that does you know, run some plays down, uh, even playing from the outside. There's some clips of him in a two-point stance, and he'll run you know, from one side of the line to the other side of the line to make a play. So it is good to see him making plays away from his gap assignment. He can do a little extra for you. He's not just a guy that's basically playing in the phone booth and just a body catcher in this gap. He does make some plays away from his gap assignment. And that shows you that, you know, there's some quickness there and there's ability to at least harass to some extent um, in passing situations. So there's hope there that he can be a three down defensive lineman and not just a two down defensive lineman or a defensive lineman that becomes more situational for you. He's not very long. Uh, he's not like your prototypical three technique that's, you know, in that six four six five range with the long arms. He is a bit more sawed off. Uh, but like I said, uh, not a lot of bad body weight, strong. I mean, just he looks very, very strong. And, um, you know, you see a little bit of that athletic ability, that quickness uh, to be able to uh, make a play and, and maybe get some tackles for losses in the run game. And maybe, like I said, be a little bit of a harassment in the passing game, uh, pushing the quarterback out from the pocket and making them move the pocket. So, uh, solid game for USC. They go in and uh, they bully Jim Harbaugh a little bit here because <laughs> Michigan had the lead for quite a while uh, for Pale Pale. And uh, USC kind of swooped in there uh, later with an offer and, and with the push to get him in on that catch-all weekend, uh, the last uh, weekend for official visits. And they're able to really you know make up the ground and then some and get him committed. So this was uh, you know a big body. A guy that uh, clearly, I mean, this has Sean Newell written all over it in terms of relationship and being able to, you know, get him the way away from home. Granted, uh, like you said earlier, originally from Alaska, there's obviously been some travel and some movement there. Uh, his family doesn't seem like they're uh, too uh, worked up about that or too worried about him playing away from home or, or having to move. Um, we'll see how that goes. You know, maybe his family ends up coming with him. Uh, but nevertheless, it was uh, a, a good pickup to kind of, you know, put a cap on those June official visits. And uh, now we go into July and see if USC can can uh, rope in maybe some other guys here that uh, they, they, you know, currently don't necessarily need lead for, maybe pull a surprise or two. Yeah, David has a very interesting in terms of recruitment with his timeline with, you know, USC. You know, they offered him back in November of last year. So he's had that offer for a while. And I, I talked to him initially over uh, Twitter when he got the offer, did an interview with him, one of the first interviews after he got the USC offer. And look, just talking to him, I could tell over the Internet that, you know, USC was a major, major offer for him. You know, he is from a USC family. This was his dream school. And 
everything about it, you know, with the the Polynesia pipeline, just California and the the history of the Trojan program and all the, the great Polynesians that have played there, all these things were, you know, things he was talking about. And, you know, he grew up in kind of that fandom with his family being big USC fans. So I've always felt, you know, you know, it's a kind of an interesting offer all the way out in Pennsylvania, but he does have roots in Alaska. So, you know, him moving around is, is not still a, the West Coast, issue. Chris. It's still the West Coast. It's still, still the West Coast. I, I still the West Coast. Indeed. Okay. Uh, they <laughs> have a between, history. but still the West Coast. <laughs> they, uh, you know, they just kind of were always there. And I felt like at least there in his mind. And so it was kind of interesting to me that I felt like USC wasn't really recruiting him. Super yeah, no, no, hard. you're 100% right. Because he took back. the unofficial visit. He took the unofficial visit. Two weeks before. Loved, yeah, loved SC. And, and, and there was definitely one of those feelings like there was a little bit of a pivot there. USC kind of knew, okay, if we, you know, really green light this guy, we're, we're going to have a good chance of getting him. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's some other positions there with some other prospects that we can talk about that I think that is true as well. And so it's one of those things where, you know, they go through – those official, those first two weeks in June, uh, you know, added in with that early May uh, weekend that they had for official visits. That's sort of where USC's playing with their plan A. They're trying to figure out, okay, who's who's doing what and everything. And I think you know that that last weekend, the last two cycles, has shown to be a weekend. It's like, okay, these are the guys that we're going to have on the back burner, and we're going to going to see you know what happens with these first couple weeks in June and get a better idea of what this class might look like. You know what the numbers are going to look like, and then you know we, we may uh, be able to have some room here uh, to 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 pull the trigger on some of these other guys. So I, I definitely kind of heard that, and I got that vibe as well. That you know USC, um, and I remember you and I we talked about that after he got that scholarship offer way back when, and you did interview him. You're like, yeah, I mean SC seems like like a real factor here in this slam dunk, slam dunk. And, and there's been some some guys like that, but. It's one of those things, again, like, you know, the there has to be uh, two to tango and these scholarship offers just don't mean a whole lot. The scholarship offers, hey, we like you and, uh, you know, we want you to have a positive impression of us and then uh, we'll see <laughs> is basically yeah. how it goes. I did have one kind of last question as we move out. I'm talking about David Palipale, the first defensive lineman in this class, because you saw plenty of him. I just wanted to ask kind of comparison-wise to Dejan Lafitte, the uh, IE defensive lineman that they were able to sign uh, for the 2023 class. Yeah, similar in terms of build. You know, both kind of in that 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 range of being uh, that 6'3". I think Lafitte's a little bigger, maybe a mm-hmm. tiny bit longer. Um, but similar in terms of stylistically playing outside, you know, at, at around 285, 290, um, even though, you know, you know, they're going to project inside, uh, but seeing that there's some pass rush ability there in, in terms of, you know, playing on the edge and that that's what that sort of signifies at the high school level is even though a guy clearly from a physical standpoint is, would be your best interior defensive lineman. You want to be able to use him, uh, as, as, you know, from an athletic standpoint in ways that help you the most in password situations as well. So it becomes one of those things. It's like, yeah, this is our best defensive tackle, but in this situation, we can use him as a pass rusher and he's going to be able 
to put pressure on the offense in, in, in better ways for us. And so you see that sort of utilization with both of those players. They're going to be inside guys. But at the high school level, they still had enough athleticism that, you know, relative to the other players on the team, were still their bass, pass rushers. So you're going to put them on the edge in those types of situations. So you saw a little bit with both. I mean, even with Jean Lafitte, he was playing tight end and he was playing a little H-back, played fullback uh, for his team there at Connolly. Um, at Colony, Colony, <laughs> <laughs> getting Braylon Connolly's yeah. mixed up with Colony High School. Uh, but uh, yeah, Dejan Lafitte was was used a, a bit all around just because, you know, he's athletic. Uh, he was 285 pounds and uh, he still had good footwork and he still had really good agility. And so, you know, they want to utilize that a little bit. So you do see some similarities there, you know, not super high end, like, wow, you know, this is uh, the Leonard Williams type of guy where you've got the six, five, you've got the long arms and you can just see the swim technique and, and the slipperiness as a, as a pass rusher and, and all those sort of tangibles that you look for from a speed standpoint, you know, running plays down from behind, but uh, nevertheless, guys that can still contribute for you and your defense and uh, you know, big bodies that can play physically and, you know, certainly can play at the Big Ten level. Michigan was basically rubber stamping that throughout the process. Uh, they pushed for him pretty hard. And like I said, USC kind of swooped in uh, at the end and uh, kind of bullied him a little bit. And the kid was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to go to USC after that official visit. Now, we've talked about some of the wins USC had last week. And there were there are plenty of those as with a total of five commitments coming off the board for the Trojans. But there were a couple of big L's that the USC took uh, that week, one being the four-star top 100 wide receiver Draylon Miller, who chose Texas A&M over the Trojans, and then Ty Anthony Smith, who is one of Miller's good friends. They actually took their official visit together for USC during the golden hour, and there was a lot of talk, a lot of momentum for USC when it came to Ty Anthony Smith about a certain emoji and a silent commitment and they were in really good position. Then this week happens. Draylon ends up popping to Texas A&M. Shortly after that, I don't remember which day exactly, but Ty Anthony Smith went ahead and made his commitment and joined his friend at the Aggies. So Texas A&M gets two wins over the Trojans with both of these Texas prospects in Miller and Smith. So opens up a lot of things for USC. What What's going to go on with wide receiver? What's going to go on with linebacker? But for the most part, a lot of USC fans are, are left thinking, you know, what happened in these two recruitments? Because USC was in really good position for both of these guys. And in one in one case, did have a, quote unquote, silent commitment from one. But as you can see, those mean nothing, Gerard. Yeah, we've kind of uh, talked about that in the past uh, with everybody getting worked up on uh, emojis and, you know, what emoji is for what player and what have you. And if those players are not subsequently committing publicly right after that, then it doesn't really mean a whole lot. And, you know, credit to Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker out of Jasper, Texas. He, he was kind of open with that instead uh, to uh, the uh, on three uh, outlet. You know, I was a silent commitment to USC. And, and, you know, a lot of times kids won't say that and they won't be open that, yeah, they told one school one thing and then they told another yeah. school another thing. But he did, and that was why we felt confident with him 
throughout the process, uh, despite being from the small Texas town. A lot of people saying, oh, he's never going to go to L.A. He'd never go uh, to to a to a school, which is such a big city. Uh, those kids only go to LSU. They only go to Texas A&M, which, you know, ends up being right. But I don't think for those reasons with Draylon Miller, not a surprise. You know, we talked about this multiple occasions, several times, even had a warm entry about it. NIL was going to be a major factor with him. And we know USC has sort of torn the corner with NIL. They've been more aggressive. They've been more coordinated. And I think they are a bit more open to how NIL factors in with high school football commitments. And when I say USC, I obviously don't mean USC directly, but those that are representing USC from a collective standpoint. Now, there's a line there and there's a difference between you know, one situation and another situation when it comes to NIL. And from a pattern standpoint, and this is just my own observation, uh, I don't uh, know if it's 100% correct or not, but I know that having talking to people and watched how USC is recruited at the high school level and how the collectives have been involved, um, I think when there's professional representation there, I think there's a little different approach to NIL. But when it's sort of family and just some people that are like, hey, you know, what kind of deal, what kind of offer is there? What kind of money is there for committing or for signing or for taking for a visit, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's approached a little differently. And we've said before, USC, even though they've been more aggressive, they're still on the conservative end of recruiting high school players with NIL. And again, not necessarily the coaching staff, USC as a university, but those collectives and those individuals that are representing USC on the NIL deal side of things. So with Draylon Miller, we had heard NIL, NIL for a few months. And that always left the door open for, you know, something to change in his recruitment. I think USC led for certain points of time, I think mm -hmm. he's incredibly enamored with the offense and USC and really the marketplace. And, and one thing that I reiterated, and I still stand by this, I don't think Draylon Miller or Ty Anthony Smith were scared off by L.A. You know, I had some sources that were a little cynical in the Houston area about landing those type of kids. And I had one source that actually doubted that USC was really in it with Ty Anthony Smith and somebody that I've known that knows Ty Anthony Smith and, and has trained those guys in this circle and then kind of checked up on it and then came back to me. He's like, you know what? They got a real shot. Like they got a chance. Like, I mean, he's, he's serious about USC. Now he didn't know Draylon Miller as much, but I think with Draylon Miller, there was also serious legitimate interest. There's a lot of people that are going to write it off and say, man, he could just take a, unofficial visit to you uh, to, to Texas A&M and boom you know he, he went from being USC to Texas A&M he was never going to USC I think that's a little simplistic I think that's you know not necessarily looking at things bigger picture I think Draylon Miller was definitely very interested in USC but NIL here is a factor that can change things very quickly you know that's the wild card now in recruiting and recruitment in that there's going to be things that go on and things that are said and, you know, we, we've seen it already with other schools. You know, I mean, we just have to point to 
um, the uh, Jaden Rashada situation with the quarterback from Pittsburgh, California, committing to Miami, and there being all this hoopla about how much money he was getting, and then boom, he commits and ends up he's going to Florida. All the money he's getting, and boom, he's not going to Florida anymore. There's this contract and all this stuff, and then everything goes on, and he's out at Arizona State. They're going to be those situations that happen. I mean, Josh Connolly, I think the um, offensive tackle uh, from Seattle and his recruitment and how that kind of shifted. I mean, that was one of those things where took the official visit to USC. USC got his last official visit. Ah, don't doesn't matter. He's going to take another unofficial visit to Oregon in the 11th hour. And then boom, he goes to Oregon. So there are going to be those situations. The best we can do is try to identify him, you know, and, and, you know, Masse, uh, Manasseh Atite was another guy who USC gets recruited or excuse me, gets committed and is a guy that we've heard NIL was going to be a factor. And it, and it is a factor, you know, um, it's trying to decipher, okay, well, so what's the difference here? What's the difference between uh, Draylon Miller's situation and Brandon Baker's situation, Brandon Baker, professional representation from everything we've heard from uh, an agency standpoint for NIL uh, yet, you know, USC has not really been involved with him. And you don't really get straight answers all the time because this is still a situation. This is still a fluid sort of new thing for college football. And I think everybody's kind of not sure where are the guardrails for this? You know, the NCAA swooped in and we talked about this last week with their threats about all state law doesn't mean anything. NCAA policy and bylaws, they supersede that. And I don't think anybody believes it. Right. So, you know, we're still stuck in this weird limbo situation until there's actual enforcement that, you know, oh, okay, that's crossing the line. And so the NCAA stepped in and now there's actual penalties for doing that thing, right? We all knew everybody was doing it, but they did it a certain way and that is frowned upon sort of thing. So yeah, we're still in that kind of limbo situation. Another thing I would touch on with this is that when it comes to NIL, there are a limited amount of funds. So there's a war chest of sorts. You can't just go in and start making promises left and right, left and right, left and right. Uh, they're donors. And somebody's got to fit the bill here for the deals that are not being necessarily supplemented by actual brand endorsements. In other words, the brand endorsements from Beats, from Nike, from whoever it is, right? Kool-Aid, Gatorade. Kool-Aid. Those players are few and far between. Okay, that's for the Caleb Williams of the world. There's not a bunch of players that are going to get those big brand deals. So what schools are doing and what boosters are doing are supplementing that where you got to fill in the gaps with the rest of your roster from guys that you like and have potential, but nobody in the corporate world cares about, right? Nobody cares about Traylon Miller at Beats or at Interscope or at some, you know, big level uh, brand. It's it's more of the people that pay attention to the football to say, yeah, but Draylon Miller is a guy that you might worry about and think about and carry about in two years because he could be that guy. And so that's the donors. That's the people that are more uh, interested and follow it more than corporate America does. Corporate America is like, who was I in trophy winner? Caleb Williams. Okay, well, okay, let's get some interviews with him. Let's see, you know, how he is personality-wise. And they start running clips. They go, hey, we like this guy. This guy's likable. I think he will be good for our brand. And then that's how those sort of gears and 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 wheels start to move 
towards those type of NIL deals. But for, you know, 90% of the rest of the team and college football as a whole, the money is just not necessarily flowing like that. So you do have to have a certain war chest with a certain amount of funds, and those funds are only go so far. And I think, you know, with USC as well as other schools, you have to be smart with that money. And you have to have value positions and it has to have uh, some sort of strategy that is akin to the NFL. You have to have value positions. You have to look at how the draft is and you have to look at what you can get locally recruiting. You know, what are the positions from a historic standpoint that you don't necessarily have to worry about developing as much? And then you sort of have to put your money in the opposite box, right? That the, the, the other corner of, Okay, these are the guys that, you know, from a from a position standpoint, we just don't have a historic record of being able to land those type of players consistently. How important is that position to winning a national championship? How important is that position year in and year, et cetera, et cetera? And of course, the NFL has their way, right? They have left tackles, you have quarterbacks, and you have this uh, sort of pecking order if you will, of the most important positions and the money that has to go into those positions, right? As opposed to, let's say, running back, where, you know, for many years, if, if you're not an extraordinary Reggie Bush, Adrian Peterson, CJ Spiller level running back that has the game-breaking speed, you've got all the numbers behind you. This guy is as close to can't miss as possible. He doesn't have a bunch of injuries, then you can be a first round pick. But if you don't check all of those boxes, the NFL's like, yeah, we'll see you when we uh, when we drafted Terrell Davis, right? We'll see you in the fifth round, sixth round. That's a position that they feel like, A, it's a position where you're going to have injuries. So you're going to have to probably have multiple guys in the field anyways. So it's like, do we really, are we really going to have a guy that's going to get 20 plus carries a game or just from the nature of the game, the physicality of it, we're going to have to have another running back on the roster anyways. And he's got to be good too. So we're going to split our money between two guys instead of just putting it on the one guy. So that's the running back position. So now college uh, personnel and, and the, the the football staff as a whole has to sort of look at this strategically. And then they've got to link up with the collectives in some way, and you know, the communication between them is still a little ambiguous on what's legal and not legal, but nevertheless, you know, get on the same page as to, okay, we have this much money. We love Draylon Miller. He's going to be a great player for us, but you know what? We get great players at wide receiver pretty consistently. You know, do we need to put all that investment into that position for that guy? Because there are other guys that we could get that potentially are as good, if not better, down the line, whether it's the next class, whether it's the transfer portal, whether it's the same class. You know, USC goes out there and they start killing it again offensively, and Caleb Williams is slinging the ball over the place. Who's to say that, I mean, Draylon Miller doesn't start to second-guess his decision with Texas A&M, but even other wide receivers start to second-guess their situations and their commitments to other schools. And then you start to look at other positions like, let's say, defensive tackle, which from a value position standpoint, much more important for USC. They're not getting a bunch of guys locally that are, you know, every year, every cycle, like your LSU or Alabama, where you just got great defensive tackles that are falling off trees. Quarterback, receiver, 
eh, defensive back even. Okay, but defensive tackle? So that's where I think from a strategy standpoint, when NIL becomes a factor, you also have to keep in your mind, okay, is this a value position? Is this somewhere where if there's a bidding war of some sort, do you put enough into that at that position for that particular player? Or do you say, you know what, let's put it somewhere else. And that doesn't guarantee that you're going to get that, right? Okay, so let's make a scenario here, hypothetical. You have Draylon Miller versus Edric Houston. I know everybody listening to this podcast right now says, you put your money towards Edric Houston. If there's some type of NIL deal that you can make upon signing with USC and an endorsement, something you can put aside for a high school football player, and it comes down to a four-star wide receiver versus a five-star defensive lineman, an interior defensive lineman at that, it all goes towards Edric Houston in that scenario. That doesn't guarantee that you're going to get Edric Houston because guess what? You know, Alabama and Georgia and all those other schools are involved with him as well. However, the thing is, Georgia, Alabama, some of those other schools in the South, they're also looking at value positions and they're looking at their own backyard saying, yeah, we like Edric Houston, but we don't have the receivers or maybe the quarterback. And so when it comes to NIL, maybe we have to put a little more into that position because that's a position that is not inherent to our region or location to be able to get year in and year out consistently. And that's a big time position for us. So there's going to be ebb and flow from that standpoint when you're looking at NIL and you're looking at strategy. And so we'll see how it shakes out. And, and certainly I don't want this to be taken as, oh, yeah, USC just, just uh, passed on Draylon Miller so you know they could have this great NIL deal for Edric Houston. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that you have to be smart and you have to know that you have so much money that you have to play with when NIL becomes a, sort of a separating factor in these recruitments. And so you know that going forward is something you have to keep in mind with all of these different recruitments until we start to get a real consistent feel for, okay, this is how things tend to be. This is the, the ceiling on NIL and the ceiling on how much it's going to sway a recruitment. That was a lot to take in, Gerard. That was a lot to take in. But I just want to say, well done. Well done. Because <laughs> well done. You, uh, you showed the world. I showed the world that... I have common sense. <laughs> that's this, and that's this just that's why. just uh, underlying something, and I think most people understand. Maybe capsulating it a little differently, but yeah, I think everybody understands that 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 has to be taken into account in recruiting modern day college football. And uh, USC is doing it. I mean, you see it on the recruiting trail. But there again, there are questions of okay, so Brandon Baker, you know, there's a left tackle. That's a value position. You know, where's USC in that race? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't have a, a defined answer for that necessarily. Um, there is also the factor of, you know, is that particular player as high on USC's board as they are on the composite 24-7 rankings? You know, because those things are different. Those things exist totally differently. Offensive line coach might have a different view than, you know, the, the recruiting experts, et cetera, et cetera. So you also have to take that into account. But I think more than anything, it probably segues us into next man up, right? Because that's, uh, you know, what even if Draylon Miller committed, I guarantee you 
even if Draylon Miller committed USC, people would ask, so Mike Matthews, what's Mike, up? Mike <laughs> Matthews. Where, does, where does USC fit into his recruitment? Gerard, that breakdown that you just gave about the NIL and common sense is exactly why you should be running our recruiting department at Tribuno Tech. So the job is yours <laughs> if you want it. It's still there. It will always be open for you to take it. But, yes, you're right. It's next man up for USC when it comes to wide receiver. And, yes, looking ahead for linebacker, that kind of will linebacker position. Well, obviously, Mike Matthews still on the board. The Lowburn, Georgia, five-star wide receiver, number, I believe, 32 overall, 31 overall out of Georgia. USC hosted him for an official visit. Tennessee is a big playmaker or a big player in his recruitment as well. He's still kind of you know, figuring out what he's going to do. But USC has been obviously very involved there. And then with linebacker, you know, Salem, Virginia, four-star linebacker, Chris Cole is the name that has popped up, took an unofficial visit this summer. And there's been talks of him taking an official visit as well. He took multiple official visits during the summer. And I believe uh, Brian Doan caught up with him recently about taking some in-person or in-season, excuse me, visits this season uh, for the fall. USC was not mentioned there. I believe Alabama was mentioned, but he has, it looks like he's taking, uh, still taking trips as of this point. USC maybe will be a factor to sneak in there for a fall visit uh, with him as he's, uh, you know, out of the Virginia area. Technically not the DMV uh, Salem. That's a little bit more, you know, uh, in the South. It's not considered part of it, but I will, we can round up if you want to write. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we could talk about Mike Matthews and USC having an early sort of connection angle with him. And I don't know if they still have that sort of in. Uh, a lot of that was with the Trillium boys. And you had uh, Chris Hawkins there uh, coaching that team. And for a certain amount of time, there was Sue Cravens also coaching that team. Uh, Mike Matthews and his family really liked USC from an academic standpoint. And this is a family that's pretty well-traveled. And they are looking at that. Um, one aspect that I was told by a source, which I haven't heard much about, and we talked about this a little in the war room, was the basketball angle. And uh, Mike Matthews had played uh, quite a bit of basketball. He's an AAU guy, and, and their family traveled around. I, I think he and his sister both played quite a bit of basketball. And it was even put across in such a way it made me kind of think a little bit about Taylor Tatum's recruitment and how baseball mm. sort of popped up as being – this factor that maybe wasn't looked at as important as uh, it's become uh, more recently. And there's still some debate over that, how important the baseball factor is. But it was uh, said in such a way that, you know, that's something that maybe Clemson and some of the other schools that are recruiting him have talked to him about maybe being a two-sport athlete in college. And I'm not sure USC has necessarily talked a lot about that. And so really for USC, the angle with the family – kind of going for academics and, you know, how important it is. This is not a, uh, you know, four-year decision. It's a 40-year de uh, decision. And I think that's sort of the separator for USC, but not a lot of buzz. You know, it's been pretty quiet for him. I asked around just recently, you know, what's what's the deal with him right now? Like, you know, what's he looking at in terms of um, a, a time frame for a decision, et cetera. And really right now he's focused on being an early enrollee. So he's trying to finish up summer school here. And um, then he's kind of going back to looking at recruiting again. And so we do expect a summertime decision from him. Uh, but 
wasn't really anything that uh, I, I could grab onto to say, oh, yeah, you know, USC um, made a big move here nor there. Uh, certainly has been other schools talked about. But, you know, after Cameron Fountain committed USC, it leaves me a little gun shy to say, you know, USC's on the outside looking in just because that academic factor played such a big deal with him. And uh, I'm led to believe that that even before his official visit was going to be a factor in his recruitment, uh, just because, again, his family had had been around. His dad, I think, played in uh, the NFL European League a a bit. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, definitely um, not just, uh, you know, a family that's uh, never really seen the world or or been out, you know, from uh, their their little neck of the woods. Uh, they've been around a little bit. They've traveled a little bit. And that tends to be a factor that it goes in favor of USC just because Los Angeles is such a diverse city and there's a lot of people from a lot of different areas. And um, it's a hub of sorts, you know, culturally and lifestyle standpoint. Um, so we'll see how, how that shakes out and, and hopefully, you know, we'll get a little more on Mike Matthews here in, in the next few weeks um, at, you know, receiver. It is a position kind of talked about already that USC's offense is so good and so productive. You know, you don't really worry too much about it recruiting itself. And you get a guy like Brian Wesco again, you know, Midlothian. he uh, turned I'll down, bring USC it back, bring it back for Clemson. But, at the same time, you know, USC offered him pretty late, you know, May evaluation process. All these other schools have been recruiting him for months and they turned that around into official visit like boom. So that kind of shows you uh, the recruiting prowess of Dennis Simmons and uh, the value and the lore uh, that uh, Lincoln Riley's offense has for a wide receiver. So. We'll see, you know, how that shakes out. If Mac, Mike Matthews doesn't work out for USC and he goes somewhere else, you know, are there other guys on the board that they can turn to or do they kind of sit back and let the season sort of play out and then allow that to maybe bring some kids back into the fold? Because, again, we talked about this before, unlimited official visits for these kids now. Uh, it can change the game a little bit, you know, where you've taken three or four visits uh, during the summer and you think everything's done and it's like, you know, before you'd have to decide, like, I have one visit left. Where should I go? And sometimes it was so hard to decide. It was just easier to say, I'm not going to take any visits and just shut it down again. But now these kids, they don't have to decide. They don't have just one official visit left. They've got a limited official visits. And that's going to make it easier to say, eh, you know what? Uh, we had an early game this Friday. I'm going to go take off and go see USC this weekend. Boom. During the season, you know, so we'll see how that plays a factor at linebacker. You mentioned Chris Cole. Thing about Chris Cole is that he's had an amazing visit everywhere he's gone. Um, he's uh, been high <laughs> on every school. Yeah, he, he, he's, he's kind of one of those kids that, you know, he, he raves about every school. And so we'll see if, if USC is, is seriously in the mix. If he actually takes the official visit, um, Dylan Williams is a, is a guy that, you know, former commit uh, to USC from Long Beach Poly, a kid that I'm very high on. Um, you never know, you know, again, NIL is a factor with his recruitment, but a kid that was one of the most solid commitments uh, that you would get on paper. And then boom, you know, it got flipped really quick after an unofficial visit to Oregon. A lot of people think he's headed to Oregon. He could end up committing to Oregon here uh, before the start of the season. You never know. But at the end of the day, 
that may not matter because, you know, USC could have a very good defense and they could have a, a, a lot of momentum coming in with a good season. I mean, this is something now that is a little bit more of the expectation with Lincoln Riley being the coach and seeing what they did last year in a, a complete transitional year in his first year. Uh, so there's potential there. There's some talk that he would officially visit in July. There will not be official visits in July. So if he decides to unofficially visit USC, that's nice. Um, but uh, again, un- uh, you know, unlimited official visits means that, you know, for a local kid, he could pop up at any time and, and an unofficial visit could literally turn into an official visit at that point. There's no, well, I'm not sure because I only got four. Or I already took five. That's out the window. You know, you could be on campus. Hey, man, you got to change your underwear and a toothbrush, brother. Just hang out, you know, for the <laughs> for the rest of the weekend. And let's see if we can change your mind about some things. So we'll see how that shakes out. Uh, and that's all going to happen during the season. And then, you know, we got kind of like those two weeks after the season, which, you know, things get crazy uh, that, uh, you know, we're, we're like in the thick of uh, decommit season at that point in November. Yeah, there are two kind of recruiting seasons. There's the things that happen in the summer. And then there's what happens during your year in the fall. And, you know, you open some eyes, open some doors, get new faces on campus, get some old faces on campus, old uh, recruiting relationships get going again. So the whole second season is upon us for USC and or will be upon us for USC. And USC should not as a USC fan, you should not have to worry about USC recruiting wide receivers. And we'll see what USC can do when it comes to their linebacker class. And we are going to talk about a very specific linebacker here in a second. But Gerard, kind of a last-minute curveball I'm throwing at you. Throwing at you. you mentioned C.J. Spiller. I'm curious, why did C.J. Spiller pop into your mind when you were talking it, about elite running backs? Because he was an elite running back. Um, he was a guy at the college football level could just do some things that uh, most kids could not do. There's an interesting story that's in peristyle lore of C.J. Spiller committing to USC. It was a report put up by Scott Wolf uh, for the Daily News at that point that he had committed to USC. I don't know if he just came out and said it that way or just said sources said that he's committed to USC. And I think I've probably told this story before, but I called him. You know, I called him. I've never heard this story. I called him the next morning. I called CJ Spiller. I didn't know if I'd get him on the phone or not. I'd spoken to him a few times and I believe he'd already taken his official visit to USC. And that was the year where USC was really trying to replace Reggie Bush. Um, you had uh, Michael Goodson, who I've talked about, you had Stephon Johnson, CJ Gable, Emmanuel Moody. Uh, you had this, uh, this, this tremendous running back class. And I, and I believe CJ Spiller was a part of that running back class. Yes, but I remember yes, this is 20, waking, 2006 just for yeah, further context. And this is a stacked running back class in the 2006. There's like 10, five-star running backs. And USC ended up signing, I think, six, and that's not even counting Allen Bradford, who they eventually moved over from defense to uh, offense to play running back. But with uh, USC, that was a a bit of a surprise. I was not hearing that he had committed USC. I knew USC was kind of up there. You know, they were definitely uh, one of those schools that he was seriously considering. But in my conversations with CJ, he was a very country kid. You know, he, he had the country sort of drawl and, and and he was from Florida, but he was not from that part of Florida. He was from the other part of Florida, which is a little more Alabama than it is Miami. And so, you know, I was like, OK, I mean, that's a huge that's a five star. That's a guy that I know USC would love to have. It just kind of odd. You know, it's been kind of quiet about it. So I said, well, let me let me call the kid and see if I can get him on the phone. And I called him. 
and it was like, I don't know, 6.30 probably uh, Eastern time, you know, so I mean, it was it was obviously very late my time, but it was like 6.30 Eastern time, and um, and he picked up, and he was like asleep or whatever. I mean, I guess he wasn't really up yet. I was What's like, with you in calling people as they're waking up? <laughs> well, I, you know, I mean, at that point, I was like 6.45 or whatever, like he's getting ready to go for school, you know, I'm trying to get him just before he goes to school, and um, you know. Oh, 6.30 like, in the morning? Yeah. It's oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know it was like 6.34. But that's, th- you know, like 3.30, 4 o'clock our time, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I, I'd seen that. Like, it was, like, really late. It was, like, 11 o'clock that was posted. And everybody's like, oh, my God, oh, my God. You know, so I'm like, okay, I, I got to get up early to try to get this kid on the phone or, or call the coach or somebody. And so I, I just called the kid first, and he picked up right away. And, and he was groggy. And I said, oh, man, I'm, I apologize. I, I didn't mean to wake you up with the call. He's like, oh, no, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. I was like, hey, man, we just had a report here locally that you'd committed to USC. And first and foremost, I just wanted to confirm that that was true. And he was like, committed to who? I was like, no, USC. He's like, I committed to USC? (laughs) There was a little (laughs) bit of that who's on first at first. And I was like, okay, he just woke up. And I was like, yeah, there there was a, a report that you made your verbal commitment to USC. And so I just was calling to make sure you know, if that was true or not, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, explaining and writing rival at that point we were with rivals and he's like, no, 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 no. I, you know, I, I didn't commit. I'm not a commit yet. And he's like, I, I still got to figure things out, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, all right, okay, cool. I mean, I appreciate it. I, I, again, I just, it's a big deal. You know, Trojan fans would be pretty pumped up and everything. So I just, you know, want to make sure if, if it's true or not. And so that's always the, that gets thrown around quite a bit about uh, CJ Spiller committing and not committing and whatever. And, um, just, uh, you know, another another bit of lore for uh, the pair style over the years. Can you name one other five star from this uh, 2006 class that did not commit to USC? That wasn't a USC commit. One other five star in the class, like overall, like or oh, you mean running, running back, back, running back. Yeah. Oh, that didn't commit to USC. Not um, not one of the not one of the USC five commits. Stars. Yeah, correct. Uh I think Michael Goodson ended up being a four star. I think he slipped. Um, he's a five star. He's he's number six here. Oh, is he five star? He still was a five yeah. star. So that was one guy that USC. I, I said before that was actually the number one running back on USC's board at that Interesting. time. It was it, and it was more Pete than it was Todd McNair. Um, you also had Demarco Murray. I think a part of that class. Uh huh. Number five overall, and, right below and, CJ. And the interesting thing is Demarco Murray showed up for one of the camps. And, um, you know, he ran and he ran pretty well and everything. And USC at that point liked him more as a defensive back and began recruiting him as a defensive back. And so that was an interesting evaluation where, you know, again, Pete was sort of the catalyst with uh, Michael Goodson. Um, Percy Harvin was in that class as well. And not really a a running back so much, but a guy that was just a big time playmaker that uh, USC thought, hey, man, I mean, you were trying to replace Reggie Bush. Let's just try to do it. However, and um, the odd thing about that was I remember when Percy Harvin told Mike Farrell at Rivals he was ready to commit. He was going to commit next week. He's going to commit Sunday or whatever. And word sort of got around and it was like, oh, crap. USC had not had their in-home visit with him yet. And that was a bad sign. It was it was one of those things where you could just tell that was not going USC's way. And USC felt good throughout that recruitment, but they tried to get in home. I think even after he had publicly committed to Florida and they knew, they knew Urban Meyer had snuck in there 
and it was like, oh man, we could and they could have got in there earlier. And I think Lane, who was the wide receiver, uh, off to coordinate, off to coordinator at that point, they want he decided, hey, let's let's um, let's hold back and do it later. We want to be in there later. And then Percy Harvin's mom basically shut them out. Would not take an in-home visit from Pete Carroll. And obviously Herb Meyer was, was telling them, Hey, don't let those people in your front yard, you know, like meet them out there in the driveway with a shotgun if you have to. But yeah, he just, they tried and tried and tried. I think Pete actually ended up going to the high school or they tried to meet at a restaurant or whatever, but it was just tough. And uh, Florida had basically made that move and it was over at that point. And I think they knew it, you know, even though there was still weeks to go in the recruiting process, it was like, Oh, dang. This is not good for us. This is not good. So um, that was an interesting um, point in recruitment for USC. Again, trying to replace a generational player. And at that point, you, you kind of know Reggie Bush is a generational talent. But then you're also like, man, USC is rolling so much. like, and, they, and they've got so many running backs that they have to choose from and so many guys that have been on campus. They might be able to just find that guy again. You know, They might be able to get that guy. And if they would have gotten – Percy Harvin, you mm-hmm. could argue that was the guy that was sort of missing. Um, they also missed out uh, like a cycle or two earlier on Deshaun Jackson, which that was another one of those players that you think, okay, they would actually have been on the field together. I think Reggie Bush and, and Deshaun Jackson, I think there was some overlap there, but that was one of those guys you go, okay, that's an explosive playmaker that when Reggie goes, you know who the next man up is. You know, he's not running back, but he's still that guy at receiver. So they, they missed out on Deshaun Jackson. And then you go to the next class and you're like, all right, they got to get a running back. And they got a bunch of running backs. They just didn't get <laughs> the next Reggie Bush, right? They, and, and you know, I think there was some misutilization of some guys that said that with Stephon Johnson. I always felt like he kind of got a bum rap a little bit and wasn't used properly. Um, Alan Bradford, they brought over and then they kind of didn't. I mean, that was a little bit of Alan being hard-headed because at first they wanted to bring him over as a fullback because they had no fullbacks uh, that following year after Reggie and that group had uh, graduated. And so you had C.J. Gable ended up being their starting running back, who was a guy that you know could have very easily played safety as well. And they have three, three fullbacks that are all really good players. Brandon Hancock, uh, Stanley Havili, who I think was just a freshman at that point. He came in with that, that group of running backs uh, that was trying to replace Reggie and, and Lindell. And uh, – you had uh, um, Ryan Patrell from Mission Viejo, who was a linebacker who they converted over to fullback, who was really looking great during spring ball. It was like, oh, man, Ryan Patrell is a guy now. He can catch the ball. He's agile. He's like 250 pounds. They have three starting running backs, uh, starting guys that can play fullback. And you're thinking that's just a, an embarrassment of riches at fullback, right? Right? I mean, you usually don't have that many scholarship fullbacks, let alone three guys that you're like, either any of these guys could, could, could start and be good. And Brandon gets hurt, blows his knee. Uh, Ryan Padrell has a bad injury, I think, at fall camp. He goes down. And then Stanley Avili, who's a freshman, ends up getting injured at some point, I think, during the season. And you end up with, like, I think it was Mike Brittingham, who's a walk-on. It was like 195 pounds. Had to play fullback for him. And so they're trying to move Allen over to play fullback. And Allen's like, I don't want to be no fullback. I ain't blocking for nobody. And that was just, you know, that didn't, that, 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 that poisoned the well for him. I think a bit going forward at USC, you know, it was like, listen, and I remember talking to his dad and his dad was an amazing guy. Um, you know, was some, just one of the most transparent, honest fathers about everything recruiting, didn't care about none of this stuff. He was always on Allen about things and was very real with them. 
And we were talking about it, and I go, you know, I mean, if he moves to fullback, I mean, he could be like a Najee Davenport. I was like, you want to be a, a millionaire fullback or an unemployed running back? Because right now, he's on that trajectory of being an unemployed running back, man. And then he's like, yeah, man, I'm telling him. Like, you know, he's he's hard-headed. He wants to do what he's going to do. He's got this vision for himself. And, um, and he ended up playing running back and being really good as a running back, but there was always that sort of, doghouse he wasn't listening he wasn't doing things he you know be in the locker room he'd have his headphones on and Todd McNair's trying to talk up the running backs it's like what are you doing Alan you're sitting there with your your headphones on like you know come on man so there was a little hard-headedness and some immaturity there that that kind of set him back a bit but you know in general that group they didn't find the guy you know, they and again, Michael Goodson, he ended up having a pro career. You know, he ended up playing with the Carolina Panthers for a while. Maybe he could have transitioned them, you know, from a playmaking standpoint. But again, you know, in that game and, you know, the unfortunate thing is where it came to a head was against UCLA, which I think was like a 13-9 loss. And USC wins that game. They go to a national championship game and they probably win a national championship, but they didn't have a fullback and they couldn't run the ball. They just they couldn't. They had no lead. Ball. It just was tough. You know, and and they had Dwayne Walker over there at UCLA who knew Pete really well and knew the scheme really well, and they they locked in and they the UCLA was prepared in that game and uh, ended up beating uh, USC and kind of uh, spoiled a, another championship for them. It was the sort of you know, what are you going to do without Reggie? Well, we're going to win another national title, and then UCLA said, not so fast. Two other notable names in that 2006 running back class: LeSean McCoy. The number nine running back prospect, the last five star out of this group. And then Beanie Wells, the Ohio yeah. State running back, the number one overall running back in that class. So both officially visited USC and mm-hmm. uh, Shady McCoy, uh, as we used to call him, uh, was a part of that group uh, that officially visited. And I think it was for homecoming against Washington State. Gold and- Hour? Well, it, w- it was kind <laughs> of the Golden Hour. It was funny because. And, and, I think I told this story. Um, he was part of that group, Percy Harvin. Uh, Brian Cushing was on his official visit that weekend. It was a stat group that weekend. And it was like one of those games where it's like, okay, USC had not beaten Washington State for a few years. Washington State kind of ran the Pac-10 at that point. And so USC's on the come up. USC's looking good. They got Washington State for homecoming. Okay, homecoming, you're usually putting – guys that you're going to blow out, you know, you, you feel pretty confident about blowing out. You don't put the nemesis of the conference yeah. uh, on the schedule for homecoming. And so USC has them come in for homecoming and they have this big recruit weekend and you kind of felt like, okay, they're pretty confident here. They're going to, they, they've, they've, they've solved Washington state and they did. And it was a sellout crowd. It was rocking. And they actually brought the kids over after the game to barbecue, to, to, to tailgate. And they were hanging out at the tailgate right next to us. And Ryan, back then we had uh, an RV with TVs and everything. And, you know, the kids were like, oh, man, that's, like, really cool. You had, you know, like Mike Williams and Linda Bell White and the uh, Heisman Trophy winners. It was all, like, sort of wrapped. And um, so, yeah, we saw all of those kids. And I, I do remember having a conversation with the source about Shady McCoy having, like, one of the worst transcripts. And it, and it, and it turned out to be true because he had to go – to a prep school before he could mm. go to Pitt. And um, it was uh, something along the lines that, you know, those transcripts were written in crayon. And so, yeah, that that was uh, that was an interesting one. They loved him. They liked him. But, yeah, that academically wasn't just going to work out. And Beanie Wells had, I think, officially visited earlier in the year. He was one of those kind of rare 
where Pete Carroll's staff would bring in a guy like the first week or the second week early on, and there would only be like one or two recruits that they would bring in. Uh, Patrick Turner was another guy they had like really early in the year, first game of the year. And then it was like, okay, he took a visit to USC and everybody forgot about USC. And they all thought, oh, he's going to Tennessee. And then he shocked everybody by going to USC. Beanie Wells was kind of one of those guys. And basically what I heard was like, no way Beanie Wells' mom was going to let him go to USC. He was going to Ohio State and it was Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State. And so uh, he was another guy that, uh, you know, it's kind of like the thing for Pete, you know, he'd say, hey, you know, God bless you. Um, you know, ha- ha- have a great career, but you're going to regret if you play against us. You kind of regret it. He said that to Lamar Woodley, who was a linebacker. That uh, that was the that was the um, when Troy Annenberg was born. The real OG Peristylers remember oh. uh, the the Troy Annenberg Lamar Woodley uh, gif before there was gifts, um, and and they were they were neck and neck with Michigan, 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 and homeschool one out. And Pete had that conversation when he uh, committed to Michigan. A lot of Michigan fans didn't like it, but Pete basically, Lamar Woodley was recounting the story when he had to call USC and say, hey, coach, I'm sorry, but I'm going to go to Michigan. And Pete said, hey, you know what, good luck, but we're going to kick your ass if we play you in the Rose Bowl. And that's what happened. That's what happened. That's what happened. Gerard, thanks for doing an improv segment. And doing some old recruiting tales, I just had to—I just had to pull on that thread a little bit, and I want to see where where it was going to go. We do have one more, well, two talking points here. One being some commitment dates have been set for some notable USC targets, some local notable targets. The first one being Santa Ana four-star cornerback, modern-day prospect Zabian Brown. He is going to be making his commitment later this week on July 9th, and we feel that one is basically down to USC in Alabama. The other commitment that date has, that has been sent is also out of the Trinity League. That is St. John Bosco, four-star linebacker, Kingston, Viliamu Asa, the USC's top linebacker priority in this 2024 class. He will be making his commitment at the end of the month or closer to the end of the month on July 23rd. So he's got some time to really sit and kind of think about it. I talked to him at the Battle of Beach over the weekend and how, you know, he wanted to take the next couple of weeks to kind of focus on Bosco and their football. And then, you know, when they have that week off that he's going to sit down with his family and really hash out, you know, what school he's going to go to. We kind of feel it's kind of like a USC Ohio state kind of battle out of the, the three with Notre Dame. I'll have more on this for the war room uh, this coming Friday after, you know, spending the day around Bosco at the battle of the beach, but two big commitments have been set for the month of July and the Trojans. Yeah, and it looks like sort of the field and, and USC sort of thing, and it, it's been narrowed down to one school in the field, and you know, it was Xavier Brown, Alabama, has been thought to be a leader for a while, and coming away from uh, some conversations that we had this weekend, and, you know, JP Five Star has got to be involved, and uh, he's on the modern-day beat, so Jarrett had talked to Xavier Brown, and he put that story up on uscfootball.com, uh, I believe Sunday, Monday. And uh, yeah, you know, Jared got the vibe that, you know, it was probably Alabama right now that led. And that was just from, you know, just, I guess, body language and trying to read between the lines a little bit. Doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case, but that's the vibe from everybody that uh, we've spoken to. It's kind of come down to USC and Alabama. And uh, with Kingston, you know, uh, there's 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 confidence there from from uh, Tom Loy, the Notre Dame writer, that it's uh, Notre Dame in, in Ohio State, and of course we've heard more to USC in Ohio State. 
I think, you know, that that kind of is par for the course sometimes. Um, you know, the the Notre Dame sources aren't going to want to say a whole lot about USC and the USC sources aren't really going to acknowledge a whole lot about Notre Dame. I think that's a little bit of a rivalry type of thing. But everybody acknowledges that Ohio State has definitely been the team to beat for probably the longest. Gerard, with that, I think we should take our break for the first half of the show. When we come back, we're going to talk about USC's number five ranked recruiting class with 70 commits and kind of take a look at the projection in the class numbers, kind of an update from when we looked at it first going to June. How's that sound? Yeah, haven't we been doing that for the last two hours? Uh, yeah, a little bit more or less, but we're going to kind of <laughs> encapsulate we're gonna it, it again. With this We're going to encapsulate it with this. So we'll be right back after this break. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, Gerard. I kept it with the mariachi music for our break music. Those mariachis are going to find you. They're going to hunt you down and they're going to copy strike you. No, I mean, I'm a fellow cilantro person, patron. It's, it's all good. It's all good. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. We can tell so, your, by your pronunciation, <laughs> Tascasitas, that uh, you're very cilantro. They, 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 can, they can tell I'm very uh, cilantro, as you say. Let's take a look at the class at where it stands with Pale Pale and Braylon, Con- Bran- Braylon Connolly. I almost said Brandon. On board, USC now stands with 17 commitments and has finally cracked the top five at number five for the 24-7 Sports Composite Team Rankings, number three in the Big Ten, just over Penn State. They got over that Penn State hump and have broke it into the top three of the Big Ten standings. So, Gerard, where do we stand right now with this class? You know, there's a lot of talk about where's that second running back going to come from? Where's that third wide receiver going to come from? Is there going to be a quarterback? Will there be space for another offensive lineman? Is defensive back set with those five? It seems set. And is USC going to get a linebacker in this class? So there's a lot of numbers and shuffling going on with 2024 class having 17 guys on board already. 
yeah, I mean, you kind of laid it out right there. Um, there is a linebacker in the class, Elijah Newby, who, again, one of those positions when we talk about defensive back, that sort of blurred line between being a nickel safety and a boundary corner, uh, the blurred line between being a rush end and a defensive lineman. Uh, but uh, with Elijah Newby, we know he's going to be one of those linebackers. It's not like USC was going to take two linebackers, but if they would have had plan A work out, it would have been Elijah Newby uh, to Anthony Smith as a will inside linebacker, and then Mike linebacker being Kingston Veliamuasa. So, you know, you sometimes get those, well, three to four offensive linemen, and you don't get or taking this amount. I think from a strategy standpoint, it's interesting because and, – and this is really – maybe specific to offensive line where you feel like they could have taken more bodies and then seeing how things shake out by the end of the season. But instead USC kind of went in and said, all right, we want four commitments during the summer and the four that commit are the four that we're going to take. And that's it. And that's basically how it's played out. Uh, Whereas you could have said, all right, you know, um, DeAndre Carter, you want to wait until September, October to make a decision. Uh, we'll we'll hang out and just see, you know, what your decision is then. We feel good about you, and we'll continue to recruit you. We're going to bring you in uh, June 16th, and if you decide to make a decision soon after, cool. If not, cool too. Uh, they could have uh, probably had room uh, to get uh, Isaiah Garcia, who's yet to make a commitment. But, I mean, we've heard from our sources that he really, really likes USC, but it just doesn't seem like they have room. And, again, room is ultimately what you sign. It's not what you have committed. And so in the past, we've seen philosophically the USC take some approach to, hey, get whoever wants to commit, and then it will sort itself out as you get closer to December. But uh, clearly at offensive line, it's been a little more, we're going to take uh, first come, first serve, and basically you know put a cap on the numbers that we're bringing in. So with some of these other positions, wide receiver, like you said, you know who's the third wide receiver if it's not going to be Draylon Miller, if it's not going to be Mike Matthews? Is there a third wide receiver in the class? Do you start to look at it and say, okay, do we need that third wide receiver? So we go to the portal or we wait and see if the season can attract another wide receiver that we feel is good enough to play, is is at the level uh, that we want to be able to sign and bring in to the program from the high school ranks. Uh, I think, you know, with defensive back, you can make that argument as well. You know, if it's not Xavier Brown, it's bust basically. And so from a number standpoint, you know, we've, we've heard a lot about, okay, they're not going to take a quarterback in the 2024 class. Well, does that mean that they're not going to take the transfer potentially? Because, you know, you could see Malachi Nelson um, and, uh, you know, Miller Moss in that quarterback competition, which is going to happen next spring. You know, maybe one of those guys leaves if they don't win that competition, you know, it's not necessarily a prediction, but, there's the potential. So you have to know if you need to uh, make that pivoting and try to bring in a top quarterback. And at that point, the only guy you're bringing in is going to be a transfer. So there's still a lot of questions here, but you know, number five overall, that's probably higher than we thought um, they would be right now. Um, it's still, you know, obviously we've got, you know, a, a, a month to go more or less until we get out of the summer. Well, we have really more than that. Cause we, you know, we have August as well. So it's still really almost two months before we're in September and we're like, okay, the season's going now, where do things stand? 
uh, there's going to be some other schools that are going to get commitments. So, you know, if USC just stays where they are right now, and let's say they don't get Kingston, uh, Viliamuasa, and they don't get Zabian Brown, um, they're going to probably drop a bit. And so they might end up, you know, I think our prediction was they'd be probably closer to seven, eight um, coming out of the summer. And ultimately, you know, probably hanging around there uh, for for signing day um, when we're just talking about, you know, the high school ranking, uh, basically not the overall ranking. Uh, and that's you know still probably where I would project them, um, even though they're a little higher right now with 17 commitments. Um, and that's certainly more than we predicted. I think we were talking about, you know, like 12 to 14 would be a good number. I mean, when you've got three uh, going into the summer, I mean, you just don't see guys like Manasseh Atete and Cameron Fountain committing at that point. So they did get some really quality commitments from left field, uh, if you will, and uh, shut down those recruitments, which is more important, at least for the time being. And, um, you know, that's how you get to five instead of being, you know, 10, nine or eight. Uh, and so we'll just see if they're able to hang on, you know, with that 17. If there's not some other schools that come up from the rear that, you know, get, uh, you know, a, a handful of commitments here, they're going to be. I mean, that's that's to be expected. You're going to see some of these schools like Alabama uh, go on a little bit of a run here, whether it's in July or August or whenever it happens. There's those schools that are very capable of doing what USC did uh, after that first week of June. Someone asked on the Peristyle, they wanted us to do over under one and a half commitments for July, not including Pele Pele. I took the over. I just I just said over. They uh they 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 want more skin in the game for our last uh 2023 recruiting class when we were kind of trying to predict the number of commitments at the end of the summer, which I think you won. I think no, I, just I think we over. split it. We split it because I was it. high at first because I was like, I think I said something like 20, I think. And then you said 16. And then I backed off of 20. Either it was like after the first week or it was going into the first week. And I basically said 18 and then it ended up being 17. I think I ended up being 17 last year, too, if I'm, if I'm correct. I can't remember where they were like in August. I feel like we split it, and I was at 18, and you were at 16, so that would have been 70. So you're going to take the under, I assume, to hold at 17 for the summer. Well, one and a half is basically a coy way of going, are they going to get Damian <laughs> <Zabian> Brown <laughs> and Kingston Villanueva, which I would say no. I would say under. I don't get the greatest vibes about Zabian Brown at this point in time. Um, Kingston Villanueva, I, I think that's just a, a coin toss. I, I have not been able to get a read. Uh, from that, I, I think Ohio State is still very confident. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I You go back with uh, the Tackett Curtis recruitment, and that's sort of like your, your sort of saving grace, you know, to, to be optimistic uh, if you're a Trojan fan. Um, but, you know, obviously in other situations, Ohio State has done pretty well. Uh, so it's, um, it is difficult to really read that if, if USC – has, has made up on the ground and held. I know after the Notre Dame visit, the feeling locally that I was getting, and even nationally to some extent, actually I, I would say even put even more weight on it nationally uh, because it's kind of you know not as biased, and, and, and in some instances it, it, it might work more towards Ohio State uh, in terms of you know the connection of those sources. The feeling was USC, it, it was the leader, and there was some – talk of uh, crystal balls maybe coming but that's before the ohio state visit and you know it's like 
but Ohio State has been the school that's been the lead school for the longest. So, you know, it's one of those things like don't get caught up in the moment too much, but it, it seemed like coming away from the Notre Dame visit, there was still a lot of optimism about USC and a lot of optimism like, hey, you know, one more week if they can just endure, <laughs> so to speak. But they're enduring from the school that uh, is the school that everybody thought that Kingston would end up at. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. But I think the unofficial visit that he took in the spring was a big needle mover for him. And then the official visit, the, the way they did it, and they, they really stripped it down. And it was really just, you know, just Peyton Woodyard and Kingston on that visit. And they got a lot of one-on-one time. You know, that's voted well for them. You know, in the last cycle where that first week where they only had four official visitors, they went four for four on that weekend. And that was specifically the week that Tackett Curtis picked because he wanted to have more time with the coaching staff. He wanted to be around Brian Odom a lot. He wanted to be around Lincoln Riley. He, he didn't want to be there with 24 other guys. And it's like, you know, I mean, listen, USC does a fantastic job with the golden hour. I mean, statistically speaking, they do a, a, a more than fantastic job, they do a tremendous job in terms of the ratio of commitments that they got at least last year, this year, we're still still up in the you know still up in the air. We have to kind of see how things shake out. But certainly, you know, the first cycle that was a success. So they handled that well. But there is on, only so much time, right? And you've got multiple linebackers on campus. At, you know, at the same time, you're going to have to split that time a little bit, or you're going to have to bring those guys together and hope that they get along and they're on the same page and there's some sort of synergy that's used there to kind of gain momentum with that position, recruiting that position. And it worked with the golden hour last year, I think with offensive linemen to to a large extent. I mean, obviously they didn't get Francis Malagoa and they didn't get uh, Lucas Simmons, which were, you know, the two biggest misses getting those big offensive tackles, but they made a move with Alani Noah and they made a move with Michael Benuelos. And those were two important guys to get. And they, and they ended up getting and flipping on that visit. So, I mean, it worked for the most part, bringing those guys together and them going, yeah, we all want to play together, but that's not always true. You know, that's not always going to work your way. And so I think with Kingston, Billy Amoso, they were like, Hey, you know what? With the unofficial visit, it was like a staff all hands on deck. You know, this is the Trojan family. You're not just committing to Lincoln Riley. You're not just committing to Brian Odom. You're committing to the football staff and everybody that's here and it's a family type thing. And I think that's very important to Kingston, uh, that sort of transition of, from one family to another family. And that angle has worked really well for USC. And they continued that on the official visit. And so that's been a big deal. And that's kind of, I think, the one thing that maybe helps separate them to some extent. You know, obviously, connections, academics, that's always a big deal as well. Um, and I think, you know, what Kingston talks about in this kind of, you can read this two different ways. He talks about Ohio State and that relationship that he's had with them. They were his first offer. Um, They've recruited St. John Bosco very well, and they stuck with him recruiting-wise through his injury, through his ACL. And that was big to him, and I would see how that would be very impactful for you as a recruit and your family as well. On the other hand, uh, you have USC and you have all of the post-football factors that come in. And having gone through an ACL where football has been taken away from you and you're watching football, the wheels in your head start to turn. You start to realize, you know, this game is not forever. I don't have it forever. And I have to think outside of what if, and even if it's not what if, and you get lucky and you get 
five years in the NFL. You know, I mean, I don't know what the average um, playing time uh, for the NFL year wise is these days, but there's not a lot of guys playing in the NFL for 10 years. That's, that's the exception more than the rule. But let's say you get, you know, in the NFL and you get some time in there and you, you know, you're like Ray Maluga and you, and you do your thing. What do you do afterwards? You know, that's still going to be sitting there looking at you in the face after you're done with football. And I think when you have one of those injuries that takes football away from you, you do start to take that more seriously. A lot of kids talk the talk, but not all of them walk the walk when it comes to what is the academic situation? What are the connections and networking to have a job post football that I'm going to enjoy? And oh, by the way, where do I want to live after my football career? Do I want to live in Columbus, Ohio? Am I really going to live in Columbus, Ohio? Am I going to live in Cleveland? Am I going to live in that region? No, you're probably not. You're probably going to live near either the NFL city you played in or you're going back home and you want to live in Southern California. So, you know, again, there's parallels there where you can see where it works for Ohio State, but it also works for USC. So we just kind of have to see which one Kingston chooses. Let's get into more about Kingston William Asa on the field because – we were at the Battle of the Beach 7-on-7 seven seven tournament out at Edison High School, which is an annual summer event for us. We're always out there. I always park across the street in the neighborhood and walk across. That is just my cross to bear. Gerard, you were covering uh, one of USC's latest commitments, and that's Milliken's Ryan Pelham. But it was actually kind of a uh, short afternoon for uh, Mr. Pelham. Yes, it was a shorter afternoon. and. Fortunately, he ended up getting a knee in the thigh, which uh, he only, I think they played three games. And then he called it, you know, quits for that tournament. And, um, you know, Milliken, uh, they opened up uh, 3-0 and uh, had a real tough game against uh, Cathedral. And they won that and then um, had a really great game against Oaks Christian. And uh, kind of were routing Oaks Christian. Oaks Christian made a little bit of a comeback. But that was Ryan Pelham's, like, best game of the day. And he had several good catches. He had two, and we're going to put that isolation video up here ASAP. But um, just some tremendous uh, catches. One was a a real physical catch he had to make between two defenders and the the ball. I mean, the quarterback made a great play just getting that ball in there. And these two guys just collide with Ryan and make him basically a Pelham sandwich. But he kept the ball and he hung on to it, came down with it. And it was it was a great play in the end zone for the touchdown. And then another play where it was basically just like a 15 yard out. And uh, Ryan just dove out there and stretched out at the at the sideline for the ball and caught it in the end zone and uh, was one of the better catches that uh, we've seen here. USCfootball.com in a little while in the seven on seven period. So, you know, Ryan's showing, I think, more than anything, because you see his speed on film. You know, we've talked a bunch about his maturation and physical development as a receiver, you know, going from looking more kind of like a running back build to now looking more like a receiver because he's got, you know, a little broader shoulders. He's got the longer arms. Um, Certainly not like technically, you know, seen his ceiling as a wide receiver, you know, in terms of route running or what have you, there's still a rawness to his game, but then there's still also an upside to his game because of that. But what I saw, you know, that stood out the most just in those few games that he played was the physicality and the ability to catch contested passes, a lot of passes over the middle, a lot of passes where he was getting hit. You know, OC was getting a little, uh, they were getting a little physical out there for seven on seven, and they got a little annoyed that Ryan was catching so many passes on them. And I talked to uh, Deshaun Rideau, the 2026 running back 
out of Oaks Christian. He just got a scholarship offer from USC after one of the elite camps. And we were just joking around. And, uh, you know, I interviewed him and, and, and that'll go up on the site uh, pretty soon as well. And um, I was like, you know, do you know many of the recruits that are either committed to USC or guys that are targeting USC? And he said, yeah, I went up there for the golden hour. I was actually on an unofficial visit and I got to see some of those guys, you know, going through their process. And I was like, what do you, you know, what do you take from that? And we sort of talked about Xavier Jordan and some of these guys that he knows and he knows Ryan Pelham. And I, you know, I made the comment, and I go, man, you know. Ryan kind of cooked you guys in that last game. And he go, oh, no, no, he totally did. He, he totally cooked us. He, he, we couldn't stop him. And our guys were getting annoyed and frustrated by it. I could see it because they started getting physical. But that was the thing. Ryan was making those catches. Nonetheless, you like to see that. You know, a guy that's got the speed, that's going to be a little bit more of a vertical threat, uh, making really good moves in the open field, you know, not getting tagged. It's two-hand touch. Uh, you know, when the, the the defenders are not annoyed at you and it becomes, you know, two, two elbow touch, it becomes two forearm touch. Uh, and uh, and it still didn't uh, stop Ryan from, from making plays and everything. And it was just kind of a weird play where there was two plays where I actually thought he hurt himself on a deep ball and he was stretching out for it and he tried to get to it. And I thought maybe he tweaked his hammy, but it was actually the next play where he was running and he clipped one of the defenders kind of running across a little bit of a mesh and he got a knee right in his thigh. So that was like, he was all gimpy because of it. And so, um, you know, he did go down because of that, but I mean, physicality wise caught a lot of contested balls and, and fought for those balls and uh, came down with them. And I thought that was, you know, good to see uh, from that standpoint, because you don't see that much on film from him, you know, he's running by guys mostly. So this was a good opportunity, short field, and again, you know, sometimes the defenders, they get uh, a little physical for uh, non-touch football, uh, non-contact football, and uh, he was still able to come down with the ball. What a great segue for physical seven-on-seven, seven because that is exactly what Kingston Viliamo Asa is in a seven-on-seven seven setting. But before that, I was actually there to film my own USC commit, and that is Marcellus Williams. But Marcellus actually had a little hamstring tweak so they decided to hold him out because there is no in-between with Marcellus. They either had to hold him out or he was going to go in there and give it 100% and just go full dog every time. And they do not need that at a summer 7-on-7, seven seven, especially with a hamstring. So they decided to just hold him out. So he was a non-competitor for uh, this weekend event. So I turned my attention to Kingston Viliama Asa. And Bosco likes to treat these things like a practice. So they rotate a lot of guys. So... Kingston would get a couple reps here and there, some, a couple series with the defense, but you know he was sitting out for two or three defensive series every time. So they rotate a lot. Obviously with Bosco, they have a lot of bodies to cycle in. But when he wasn't there, you know he was the same that we've seen. You know, kind of in a uh, in a traditional football setting, he's super physical. Obviously, he's like violating dudes like in that little five yard space. He was just all over them, made a couple of nice pass breakups. Like I saw three from my point of view. Uh, he had one where he was kind of a little bit beat down the kind of a wheel route for the tight end. And then he kind of dived at the last second and broke it up in his hands. A really, really nice play by the linebacker. Obviously seven on seven scenarios aren't really built for linebackers like Kingston who are more, you know, you know, they make their their money and their 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 highlights by knocking people around and blitzing off the edge and all that kind of stuff, which you cannot do in a seven on seven highlights. But, you know, it was nice to see him in coverage a little bit, super physical in coverage. But overall, you know, it was a uh, kind of a chill day for him. 
The big thing, which I caused a stir on Twitter, is that uh played the first half of games, and then after their break, kind of dusted off the uh, Ohio State gloves and, th- and threw those on. So uh, I don't know if you're a big uh, gloves recruitment guy, Gerard, or I know a lot of people are, but yeah, we're rocking the Buckeye gloves uh, for the second half of his games. What did Marcellus have to say about that? Uh, no comment. No comment. <laughs> no comment here or there. So going from Bosco to modern day, which, uh, you know, those teams, uh, I heard they play uh, every once in a while. You don't say. Um, you know, five-star Jarrett, uh, five-stars only, Perez, uh, DeJarrett, uh, as DeJarrett. we like to call him now, uh, the coldest DeJarrett, a checked out modern day again. Again, he's on the modern day beat, people. We just literally just say, you know, who's the highest ranked players, and he just navigates over there. And so he was on Chuck McDonald, Darius Dixon beat again because really only two guys that, um, you know, are, are playing. Uh, Zabian Brown, I think he also had a hamstring issue or there's something else going on with him. He wasn't playing to Battle of the Beach uh, last weekend. We did get the interview with him, but he didn't play. So we got more Chuck McDonald and we got more Darius Dixon, which we love more Chuck McDonald and Darius Dixon because uh, they're both one of, if not the two top combination cornerbacks in the country. Uh, Chuck is playing a lot of slot. He kind of talked about that hybrid um, slot safety position. He plays that for modern day. He owns that position for modern day. We just put a recruiting update uh, from Jarrett and, and, you know, he talked a little bit about that in that update and uh, across from him is usually Darius and uh, Darius Dixon uh, quickly becoming, you know, one of the alpha dogs in that uh, 2025 class. And so, you know, both of those players like them both, both physical, both fast. Um, there's just a lot to like about them. Both were a part of the modern day track team uh, this past spring, which was very successful. And so they both, you know, displaying a lot of speed and, uh, you know, Jared got uh, some more clips of those two. And so we'll have a sort of compilation you know, we may even have a compilation coming from this weekend as well. Because you know what? Seven on seven never stops. <laughs> it just goes on and on never. and on. Uh, but, but grind uh, never stops. But uh, they they both, um, you know, looking good. And, and uh, I think, you know, Chuck McDonald really, to me, made a big sort of physical step forward when I watched him at the Under Armour camp. You know, that was really where I was kind of like pounding the table saying, you know, this dude. Like some people are sleeping on him and I can understand that because he is playing that sort of slot position, which is, you know, number one cornerback in high school team, you're going to put them in the field. Right. And then the second best, you can put them in boundary, you know, really your third best guy you're putting out there on nickel. So I think the assumption is, well, you know, he's like the third best cornerback that they have, but you also have to look at modern days. Uh, secondary in their roster and you've got Xavier Brown, you've got Darius Dixon, you know, the other guys out there are, are not too shabby. And there's, uh, you know, several guys there that have USC scholarship offers in that secondary and not only even start. So um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, Chuck McDonald, definitely very high on USC. Uh, Darius Dixon, uh, a little more open, it seems like, and, and not to say that Chuck McDonald isn't open. He is, but I think that the inherent interest in USC um, is the highest right now with Chuck McDonald. Um, he actually got his scholarship offer from USC during one of the elite camps last summer. I think it was like the first one that they had. And so um, from there, it's kind of felt like, you know, he's USC's to lose. And our final topic for this show was kind of a 
throwaway line by Hurricane last week, and I decided to put it on display here at the end of the show. We're going to be talking about Blue Bloods. Uh, Gerard mentioned that there are a you know only a handful of Blue Blood college programs, which is obviously a big off-season uh, talking point among college football fans every single year and throughout you know the entirety of college football. So I just wanted Gerard's blue bloods. Like, what are his official blue bloods? And Gerard, if you could start just by defining a blue blood and what you define, or like, what is your criteria for being a blue blood? We're not talking about blue chips. We're going to talk about blue bloods. Yeah, not blue bloods, not blue chips. Yeah, not the movie you refuse to watch. I myself went out of my way to go watch Glengarry Glenn Ross, and I thought the throwaway line potentially was going to be there's only one thing that matters in this life. <laughs> A always B B C closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. That wasn't the one. That wasn't the one. The one is to get them to sign the line which is dotted. That is because only one thing counts in this life. Get them to sign on the line which is dotted. Only one thing that counts, not matters, but counts. But anyways, nonetheless, I mean, blue. I don't know how I define a blue blood. It it just it it is a blue blood. It's just a thing. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. So Chris sort of called me out because I just want to know know what your blue bloods are. I can't even remember uh, what the conversation was or, or how it came up. But he did say, well, you need to think about this. And uh, you need to uh, have a list ready for the show, which, by the way, I didn't. Um, I just saw it on the docket where he started typing in Gerard's or Hurricane's Blue Bloods. And I'm like, oh, yeah, um, I have to think about this. Wait. uh." So, I mean, my Blue Bloods, just, you know, kind of thinking about it without doing a ton of research on it, without having like a well-defined, you know, list of, um, you know, sort of specific criteria or criterion, I would say USC, Alabama, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Nebraska, and that might be a controversial one, and Oklahoma, which also might be controversial. But if you're going to put Nebraska in there, you kind of have to put Oklahoma in there. So, I mean, for me, it's national championships, Heisman Trophy winners, it's you know winning bowl games, and it's consistency, consistency along with maybe the most important thing, you know, what you do in those big games. You know, having those stretches of dominating college football at some point in time, you know? And of course people will say, well, Michigan, the last time they were dominating college football was in the 1900s. And that's true, but they did. <laughs> they did. Nonetheless, they, they still have a lot of national championships. I know a lot of them were before, uh, you know, uh, you know, airplanes were flying in the sky. Uh, but nevertheless, they still have a lot of national championships, you know, Alabama, same thing. Nebraska only has five. And, but I grew up, you know, in the nineties, and uh, kind of starting to watch college football. And I saw Tommy Frazier and those guys just absolutely brutalizing college football with the option game. And that was kind of, uh, you know, the, the the last days of the sort of standard traditional option game. Um, but uh, they always felt like a blue blood to me, always felt like a program that just like, you know, uh, Tom Osborne and, and always selling out. Even today, I mean, you have to admire Nebraska fans because even – through some of the low you know, periods of their football program have sold out those stadiums and they have been uh, diehard. 
you know, in, in such a way. And so I do, I, I feel like that's kind of a, a blue blood program um, more so than you could throw a lot of other schools out there. Yeah. Who didn't I, make it? Who didn't make I, it? I mean, like Florida didn't make it. And, and, you know, people say, well, what about Florida state? They were dominant for a certain period of time, but that was like the only period of time. Florida state hasn't been around very long as a, as a college football team. Um, there's, there's plenty of other schools you could throw out there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people are gonna say, well, Texas has got to be a blue blood, right? But Texas is, I don't know, man. It, it just feels like it's very sparse in terms of winning big games and, and, and playing at the highest levels and having, you know, periods of dominance. It just seems like they sort of hit and miss here and there and, and not a school that's like got these multiple national championships and have made those back-to-back type of runs. So, I mean, listen, I could be, again, called out as a casual college football fan for this, but that's just, you know, uh, my uh, my own personal opinion when the conversation of Blue Bloods come along and somebody starts talking about this school or that school. Like there's some schools that, you know, for me, kind of stand out a little more than others. ESPN did sort of a uh, numerical analysis of figuring out which are the Blue Bloods using like a point system, only five scored like a perfect 10 in this regard. And those were Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and the Trojans. All were were tied for first with that perfect 10 in terms of being defined as a blue blood. So, so only one school out there, and that would be Nebraska, didn't make that list, correct? Well, Michigan, Texas, and Nebraska made the list as the oh, true. Yeah, but sorry. They, were, they didn't get perfect scores. No, no, yeah, they didn't get perfect scores. The cutoff okay. was Nebraska at eight. Was the the snuck in as the uh, as a blue blood of the eight. But of those eight, those five scored a perfect ten. So is like, it only Texas that's considered a blue blood in that list that I didn't include in my list? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. I'm interesting. Yeah, I don't consider Texas a blue blood. I just do not think that there's been enough dominance, at least, you know, in, in the modern era of college football. You know, they've been there to the national championships. They lost against Alabama, obviously beat USC in 2005. But I don't know, man. I just, just I don't know. I feel like Oklahoma's got them beat. Can Georgia sneak up in there? Uh, no, not really. I mean, they can. They continue well, if to win, they like they, win another winning. national title. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, yeah. And you're like, holy crap, you know, they've sort of taken the, the mantle away from uh, Alabama, you know, and making a, a big run. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Georgia's probably always had, like, the most potential, you know, to be a blue blood that wasn't the blue blood. You know, it, it's sort of, I think, a lot of their thunder – uh, over the years been stolen from by Florida, you know, with the Spurrier years and in, in Florida, obviously with Urban Meyer. So Florida's had some success there. But again, I mean, I guess it's all perspective and in, in where you live, you know, you might feel a, a different type of way. But that's just a really unbiased just, hey, you know, looking at it uh, flat footed. That's just kind of the list that, that comes to mind for me. Gotcha. Gotcha. OK, well, thank you, Gerard. I know I uh, threw this uh topic at you last second but i appreciate you being a good sport and giving us your uh, hurricanes blue blood programs uh in 2023 moving on to our final topic of every show and that's listener questions we don't have a ton of listener questions for today everyone was too busy putting up fireworks or grilling but if you want to email us a question you can shoot it over to podcast at uscfootball.com just make sure you put the composite two stars 
Kristen Gerard, Hurricane 10K, Cilantro Boys, whatever, and it'll go to my inbox. So, Gerard, like I said, we have two questions, kind of their multi-parters as always, but let's start with Rich in SD. Hope you both had a good 4th of July back to the grind. What does USC do in the event that Kingston Villamo Asa does not pick them? Do they go after Jalen Williams or do they dip down into Maine, Louisiana again? Again, I see that on TOS has him going to Notre Dame by a wide margin. Not sure what that is based on. Yeah, I mean, we can't comment on what <laughs> other people are reporting. They're not here to defend their reports, and I don't know even what the context of that means. So uh, what do they do if they We kind of talked out? about this a little bit. Yeah, we did. I mean, there's, there's you know, the pivot at that Mike linebacker position that you make. Um, potentially, you know, there's Dylan Williams. Uh, he might be a post-commit that you're continuing to try to keep a relationship with. Uh, certainly, again, when NIL is a factor, there's always that wild card there that things can change really quickly. And so, you know, as, as quickly as it changed – Against USC, you know, there's that potential that it changes uh, for USC. Now, having said that, you know, we look at Francis Maragoa and we look at his recruitment, the five-star offensive tackle uh, from Bradenton, Florida, IMG Academy, who played out here for a little bit. He was at uh, San Bernardino, St. Thomas Aquinas, originally from Australia. Uh, He did not waver off of his commitment to Miami, despite the Hurricanes being awful last year. I mean, they were awful last year. And there was a lot of thought like, okay, his commitment's got to shake loose a little bit. He's got to take another official visit or something, an unofficial visit somewhere. And he did not flinch. And that is something that we have to sort of observe with NIL. And these deals, and there's a lot of rumors about his NIL deal and how it was structured, let's say that. And so that had something to do why, with why he did not waver from that deal. His family had moved to Florida, so on and so forth. And so, you know, we have to think about that when we look at Draylon Miller's situation and whether he's in it for Texas A&M this year regardless of what happens with how they play now you know we've heard some talk like eh, if texas a&m struggles and people start calling for jimbo fisher's head again that there could be some wavering but again you know just looking at francis Maracoa's situation which is different you know certainly with mario cristobal just coming in that being his first year the sales pitch is hey we're just getting started you know there's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be bad before it gets good. We've got to turn this around, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing is with most of these elite coaches, you see some amount of light at the end of the tunnel. Miami was so bad last year. They just look like they're going to be bad. They, you know, there, there wasn't a lot to take from last year. And then you look at Lincoln Riley and him being able to turn around a team, which, you know, had arguably maybe even more issues with the roster and depth and being able to win 11 games. So the expectations, you know, also play a factor in this. Um, Jimbo Fisher 
you know, has a, a ridiculous buyout and everything. So it doesn't look like AM is going to, to really be firing him anytime soon. I think it's like $98 million or something crazy like that. It's, it's going to have to be a contractual thing where, you know, they decide to part ways. Uh, but nevertheless, there is that that we have to keep in the back of our heads. And so that's going to come up with Dylan Williams and USC recruiting him uh, as they get into the season. And, and the, the good thing is he's local. And so it's just very easy, like I said before, for him to take an unofficial visit that maybe turns into an official visit or he has an official visit at the end of the year. You know, there's not a whole bunch of travel plans that have to go into that. You can literally jump into a car, drive up to USC and boom, you're on campus for 48 hours and you got 48 hours to, to, to build back those relationships that bond and to make things work and to get on the same page again. Uh, outside of that, yes, we talked about, you know, Salem, Virginia, four star linebacker, Chris Cole. There's some other players uh, here and there, but, you know, I think if you're looking for a standard of talent, you might have to be going into the portal again. And that's always a little bit, you know, sort of nerve wracking, I think, for the coaching staff, because you don't know what level of talent is going to be available there. You know, we don't have enough cycles behind us to know what the standard is going to be. There's a median there, you know, that you kind of have to find. And I, and I don't know if it's like a four year period, you kind of figure out, all right, this is what we can expect from the portal. There's going to be a little less, maybe there's going to be a little more from year to year, but this is generally what we're going to get. We're going to see, there's going to be six guys in the first window that are going to be at the level to be able to come in and start for us or to compete for a starting job. Or there's going to be, you know, 10 guys or there's only three guys that's going to dictate how hard you go after your plan B's and other guys from the high school ranks instead. So, yeah, there's not like a lot of names there necessarily, uh, certainly not guys that have USC, you know, in their top list. We just put out the target list and I'm not going to go and list names uh, on those lists, but check them out. There are some other players there that are available uh, that USC can recruit. Some good players there that potentially could take official visits. And because this is the first cycle, which players have unlimited official visits, we also have to take that into account. And, you know, how easy it is for those kids to take visits and, you know, how willing is the coaching staff to bring them in during the season? We saw them bring in a few recruits during the season. And the Arizona State game was kind of, you know, one of the bigger weekends for them. And then they had a lot of unofficial visitors for the Notre Dame game. You know, do they have a bunch of official visitors this year for the UCLA game? And that's going to be the last game sort of at the end of the season where, you know, you have the potential to bring in a bunch more official visits. The limit is still on the schools of how many kids they can bring in officially. So you have to deal with that per cycle, how many spots you have open. But for the kids, it's unlimited. And so you can always sort of have that in your back pocket. And again, you have to weigh that with. Uh, the transfer portal because those guys want to take official visits. And so you have to have those spots open for those guys to take official visits as well. And so, yeah, there's a lot to, 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 to look at when you're looking at your numbers. Um, but right now there's really two uh, linebacker spots there that we're looking at. It's, it's not just the Mike linebacker spot with Kingston Vallejo Moasa. It's also that will spot because Scientist Smith, who at only six one two hundred five pounds. And I was kind of surprised when I was putting up the target list, I had assumed that he'd gone up the rankings a little bit. He's number 53 nationally as a linebacker. And that was kind of surprising. He is underrated uh, by 24-7 sports for sure. I'm 
not really sure what his composite ranking is, if it's a whole lot higher. But yeah, he's a, he's a good enough player, I think that you know is is a good twenty, maybe you know two dozen spots up from that. He is smallish though, and that's what people are looking at in this uh, era of hybrid defenses. And you've got more three four defenses. I think you know people are looking for a little bit more size, um, six foot six one. You know, not necessarily a big frame, but got the speed, got the instincts. I think Ty. Anthony Smith is, is definitely a bit underrated at that point at 53. Um, but that's the will spot as opposed to the Mike spot. So USC, you know, from the looks of it, their approach was we want to get one of each of those guys. On a separate note, I am personally indifferent if Tatum chooses SC or not. That is Taylor Tatum. Fact is they can get a high caliber running back on a drop of a hat. Thoughts? I would agree with this. I mean, it's a Gerard is on record as saying this is a very weak running back class and the rankings sort of reflect that as Tatum is the number one running back in the nation consensus and he is not a five-star prospect he is a four-star high four-star prospect so that kind of speaks to how weak the running back class is and coach Kyle McDonald has proven that he can recruit running backs he can evaluate running backs he can find running backs and he can get them to commit and obviously USC you know has a long storied history of producing running backs and this offense is entirely running back friendly, which makes it such a desirable location. So yeah, Tatum chooses SC or not. I don't think you are really going to be losing much sleep over it. Kyle McDonald, Lincoln Riley, they will find someone, a running back that they believe is of USC's caliber to come in and play for that second spot or, or take that second spot. And maybe that's the high school ranks. Maybe that's the, uh, the portal as they've shown, they are very good at recruiting the portal for the running back position. So yeah, you can I I don't think you are off on feeling not necessarily indifferent, but I think you can there's other positions you can worry about than running back. Running back will take care of itself with the way McDonald has recruited, you know, since he's gotten to USC. If you run the football, they will come. And I think that is what USC has to continue to establish. I don't when you say high caliber, I don't necessarily know if that means highly touted four-star, five-star, or just a guy that's going to end up being good because there's good player development at the running back position at USC. I mean, the latter we know to be true, but does that mean that you can just go out in the next cycle and boom, you're going to grab uh, a four-star or a five-star guy or the number one ranked running back in the country the following year? You know, Jordan Davidson is going to be that guy, at least right now. Do you get him? No questions asked. I, I don't know. I think it has to be one of those things where USC has to continue to show that they can run the ball because the negative recruiting angle is always going to be, well, it's Lincoln Riley and he's known for Heisman trophy winning quarterbacks and how much he throws the ball and how much he threw the ball at Oklahoma. That's something that, you know, they had to work against at Oklahoma. Now they did it, you know, DeMarco Murray was recruiting his butt off to, you know, try to balance out that conversation of, you know, what makes the Oklahoma offense so good when Lincoln Riley was there. Obviously, it wasn't good last year with Lincoln Riley gone. Now you transition to Lincoln Riley being at USC, and they showed again, it's a balanced offense, right? But you're still working against the whole, well, it's air raid and et cetera, et cetera. I think that was even used by Oregon when recruiting Josh Connolly. It's like, do you want to play in a college air raid offense, or do you want to play in an offense that's going to be more pro-ready, so to speak, right? So it's a matter of proof in the pudding. 
and showing, you know, this offense is uh, dynamic and it's better than what your other options are going to be. And yes, we do run the football and we are good at running the football. And I think uh, that, like Chris says, will sort of help recruit itself. Now, does it mean you go out and you grab, you know, the high four star, high five star guys? I mean, I think Kyle McDonald is looking for his guy, his guys. You know, they have a guy like Nate Frazier there locally at modern day. They're not recruiting him. So it's like, you know, it's not necessarily about the four-star guy. It's not necessarily about anything from a ranking standpoint um, with the recruiting publications. It's more, you know, these are the guys that we feel like fit our system and feel what we can do and what we need uh, from that spot. And so, you know, he didn't have a bunch of four-star, five-star guys at Utah, obviously, speaking of Kyle McDonald. Um, so I don't know that there's necessarily that pressure to go find those guys at USC. Certainly when you're rolling USC, you're going to have that ability to find those guys. But um, I don't think they're recruiting Taylor Tatum hard because he's the number one ranked running back in the country. I think because he fits and checks those boxes that uh, Kyle McDonald has going in the recruiting process. I mean, when they started going after him, he wasn't the number one ranked running back in the nation. So he is now, and, and like Chris said, it's a down year, uh, in my opinion, at least, uh, at, at running back. And certainly, you know, I think in most years, the top-ranked running back nationally is a five-star. And so I think that sort of, you know, is emblematic of there not being that particular guy. And the 2024 class as a whole is kind of that way. You know, if you're not on the Dylan Riola train as being like the guy, and I'm not, mainly because he's just not a super mobile quarterback. And I don't know. I mean, I think he's got a great arm and he's a big kid. And, you know, there, there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, you, I don't know. It, 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 there's definitely, I think, a little bit lacking at the top end of this class. You know, there's just some depth at, at certain positions. But overall, I think, yeah, the playmakers and the guys that have those numbers behind them with the wow factor um, – 2024 class kind of seems to be lacking a bit. Uh, and, and we'll see about 2025. I, I, I think it's, you know, 2026 is where you start to go, okay, there's some kids here. You know, there's some talents here that maybe have some tangibles that you can't teach that uh, make that class a little more sexy, you know, a little more interesting uh, from, um, you know, those value position standpoints. Uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll see how it develops uh, over the course of the year with the 2025 class, maybe there'll be a little more there. And, and, you know, certainly when you're on the West coast and you don't have that, you know, that plethora of quarterback talent, uh, at face value, that sort of also kind of, you know, probably makes you a little biased as to like, okay, you know, what, what, what is it nationally? Because it tends to be those classes go by the quarterback. And the final question comes from Arthur in the OC. It's kind of a two-parter as well. Monsieur Martinez and Trevino, I'm disappointed that the Trojans did not land Ty Anthony Smith. This obviously magnifies the importance of USC signing Kingston Viliamu Asa. It was reported, though, that Dylan Williams was officially visiting USC last month. Did that official visit take place? Is there any chance that we can lure him away from Oregon? What went wrong with his recruitment? That's kind of the first part of the question. Uh, I will say I know what you're referring to and no. Dylan Williams did not take an official visit. It was a report that he could potentially reopen 
his relationship again with USC and potentially take a USC official visit. He did not take an official visit to USC. He was on USC's campus for their seven-on-seven passing tournament with his Long Beach Poly teammates, but no, they did not. he did not take an official visit to USC. That is something that could happen down the line during the season, uh, but no, he has not taken an official visit to USC. Is there a chance that we can lure him away from Oregon? Sure, there is a possibility. What went wrong in that recruitment? Well, Gerard has mentioned that several times that, you know, when he was rec- uh, committed to USC, you know, you certainly get more uh, opportunities when you are an uncommitted prospect, especially for him having committed so early in the process to the Trojans. Yeah, he basically stated that himself. I mean, we were reading between the lines on that one. And, um, you know, that's something that, again, he took an unofficial visit to Oregon, and it was like it went from I'm taking photo shoots, I'm throwing up fight ons in every tweet to boom, I'm reopening my recruitment to USC didn't even make his top seven. And so, you know, no, he he didn't officially visit USC. Um, You know, to my knowledge, there's not going to be any official visits in July. So there's not going to be an official visit. Then could he take an official visit to USC? Well, he has unlimited official visits. So of course, I mean, he could take an official visit to USC. Uh, It's a matter of rekindling that relationship. How much does USC want to put into it as well is, is going to obviously matter. Do they want to get hurt again? They want, they want to get hurt again. I mean, Dylan Riola, you know, that situation where you know Dylan Riola reopens his recruitment after decommitting for Ohio State. And a lot of people are like, well, who was runner up? It must have been USC. He's going to USC. And then, you know, Georgia popped up. So it was always like some other school, it seemed like, uh, regardless. And so um, I think, um, you know, for USC, there's uh, potential there, you know, to get back into um, that recruitment. You know, is Dylan a Mike or a Will? I think he was looked at more as a Will linebacker. And, you know, they were recruiting he and Kingston, Veliumasa. Um, and, you know, he committed first. I think he was actually the first commitment that Lincoln Riley took uh, as a head coach at USC. Um, at least the first one uh, that was sort of like a new recruitment that didn't have anything to do with his time in Oklahoma. You know, because you have Malik Brown and you had Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon. But I, I remember talking to Dylan just about that. And, um, you know, this was post him decommitting. And we kind of went over all of that. And, you know, he he was vague and, and didn't get into specifics, but talked a lot about his relationship with the rest of the staff. And, you know, some things that made sense and then some things that didn't make sense. I mean, listen, you know, according to Josh Connerly, Eugene is a lot more like Seattle than Los Angeles. So, you know, kids say the darndest things, right? Wasn't that a TV show? It is a TV. It was a TV show. Yeah. The second part of that question is more, my more overarching concern is why does there seem to be an almost antagonistic attitude for some of the top local recruits vis-a-vis the Trojans, i.e. leaving USC out of their top 10 list altogether? I would appreciate your thoughts. Keep up the great work and happy 4th of July. Arthur in the OC, USC in the class of 1977. Uh, very quickly, I need to look up this word. Yes, okay, I pronounced it right, and I have the same definition definition in my head, this hostility towards USC. Gerard, have you interpreted it as hostility towards USC? You mean antagonistic? Yes. Yeah, um, 
No, not the definition of the word. The, it depends. The, no, yeah, I know what you mean. It depends. <laughs> you know, I think in some situations you're getting comments from recruits that maybe if they were committed and decommitted, it was because they weren't getting that love from USC. And if you feel like you're being dropped, then, yeah, you're going to kind of have this cynical butthurt, you know, if we're going to draw it down to the layman term, um, <laughs> attitude towards USC. Now, if you're talking about guys that haven't been committed and maybe like a Aiden Breland, five-star defensive tackle from modern day, and how it's like USC seemed like they were definitely going to get an official visit until they weren't going to get an official visit. And you had Miami and Texas A&M and basically five families of NIL sort of, you know, littering uh, his official visit list. USC kind of gets bumped out. Now, does that mean that, you know, Aiden Breland doesn't like USC or has some type of personal issue with USC? No, I don't think so. I, I think that there are just other factors that are overriding his recruitment right now. And people around him that are, you know, making those factors like sort of the primary um, driving uh, point for his recruitment. Now, I've said I think he'll commit, and I think there's still an opportunity that he officially visits USC, sort of like with Dylan Williams, you know, but differently in that Andy Breland never committed to USC. He never was like, I'm all USC, I'm solid, and, and showed that, you know, popping up on campus constantly and, you know, taking photo shoots. and just I mean, he was involved talking to other kids about committing, and then all of a sudden it was like, boom, you know, it just changed. When Aiden Bruin, he's always been a bit aloof with USC and being a local recruit and people questioning, you know, does he even like college football? Does he like football at all? You know, what's going on with this? And and then now it's sort of like all, all of a sudden changed. And, you know, it's like, okay, he's a five-star now and, and he's, you know, very serious about football. And you're like, okay, I, I guess so. Uh, I'll go along with that. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, yeah. and, and Jarrett, Perez actually asked that of Zamian Brown. Um, he asked the question more specifically towards modern day because USC has gone from being sort of like the lead school for every kid coming out of modern day that's you know going to be a high time you know high uh, end recruit to like they're going 0-4 at modern day. It's like what's what's the change here? You know, is it because Bruce Rollinson is gone now and there's new coaches there, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, you know, Xavier just said, no, no, I just think it's situational. Like, there's no you know, animosity there or anything. It's just situational. And, you know, every kid is, is going to have a different recruitment. I think there's also from the standpoint that USC is still trying to win players over. And just because you won 11 games last year, you still lost in the Sugar Bowl to a two-lane. Um, you still lost twice to Utah. Uh, you're still coming away from a very, very dark period in USC football history. So, you know, there's still some work to be done. I, I think sometimes, you know, Trojan fans are like, hey man, we're back on it. We're back. We're back. It's that 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 quote. We're back. Yeah, that whole we're back thing that it's like, no, you're not. You're not back. And USC fans more than anybody should know you're not back until until you're playing for consecutive national championships. The standard of USC football being back is a hell of a lot higher than it is at Texas, hell of a lot higher than it is at Oregon or any of these other schools. Like you are putting the standard very, very high if you're a Trojan fan. So yeah, we won 11 games. It's okay, that's cool. It, it was above expectations for sure. Absolutely. Lincoln Riley and the staff 
they broke through the expectations I think most had for the program year one. But as we get into year two and year three, those expectations, man, they go way up there. They start when we're in year season three and they're, you know, they're in the, the, the Big Ten. Man, despite that transition to a new conference and you look at the schedule and go, oh, boy, OK, we're going to be traveling. We're going to be playing some real teams week in and week out. Those expectations are going to be high and they're going to be higher than they were last season. They're going to be higher probably than they are even this season. And this season, because you won 11 games last year, is we, you better win 11 games again. And this time we want to see a Pac-12 championship, right? That's that's the thing. It's like that's the caveat. You only won 11 games. You won 11 games last year. But we won the game that counted at least in the conference. And if you do that, you're getting the college football playoff this year, more than likely. Now, does the expectation that you win a game there and you're playing for a national championship, I, I don't feel that's realistic right now. But then again, I'm the guy who thought realistically, you know, they went eight, nine games last year. And that's sort of where they are. And that's a good season for USC, winning eight, nine games last season, right? And then it depended also on how you lost your games because that's, I think, a big deal. USC, under Pete Carroll first year, they went six and six. But the the silver lining in that was how they lost those games and how competitive they were in every single game, even the ones they lost. And I think that's also something that can be said about last year with Lincoln Riley. They didn't get blown out of any games. They didn't play well. Uh, against Utah when Caleb Williams went down. And we had that back and forth with some of the fans about, oh, that game would have been so much different, blah, blah, blah. I felt like there was a little bit of we figured you out coming from Utah. Now, would the game have been different with Caleb Williams? Yes, it would have gone differently, certainly. Would have been a much closer game. But I do think, you know, Utah sort of had some things there where they saw them in the first game and they used that in the second game. And that is going to be the interesting thing watching them specifically on offense this season. Now, everybody has tape of Caleb Williams. Everybody knows Caleb Williams is in the Pac-12, and they know what the offense – now they spent all offseason preparing for that offense in Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. So it's going to be harder. It's going to be more difficult for USC, and that's why the defense does have to step up. It has to be you know, top 50 if they're going to continue that trajectory upward and get themselves a conference championship and potentially a spot in the college football playoff. All right, Gerard, that is all our questions for today, which brings us to the end of the show. Some would consider this an express episode. We didn't even crack two hours, uh, two and a half hours, excuse me. We did not crack two and a half hours, so some people will call this an express episode. But some things to talk about, not a ton of things to talk about. Uh, but thanks again for joining us for another episode of Composite Two Star Recruits. Gerard, do you have... Any message for the listeners before we get out of here? <laughs> a message? <laughs> yeah, no, a little a little nugget of wisdom that we uh, instill on them before we leave. No, I'm not here to give anybody wisdom. Most of the people that are on the peristyle and uh, and listen to the podcast certainly class of 1977 can bestow more wisdom on me than I can listen, to them. Listen, man, I just wanted like a grilling tip or something, or <laughs> not not, not like a philosophical uh, thing. But okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm Don't Chris. play with fireworks uh, unless uh, you know you read their instructions. I I no. I, in general, yeah, it's um. I guess it, it went quick this week, you know, uh, like you said, not a ton to talk about. Obviously, we don't have any official visits here uh, in the near future. So, you know, that's obviously something that uh, we don't have to really break down and talk about so much. Official visits are in the rearview mirror for the summer. Uh, we're on a dead period now. 
Uh, from what I've seen, uh, I think uh, Coach Lincoln Riley is in Mexico and he's fishing again. He might be down there with Ryan Abraham, who's also an accomplished fisherman. So we'll see. Maybe we'll get some uh, some more room from uh, Coach Riley directly. Uh, maybe some uh, fishing tips. I don't know. But um, yeah, that's uh, this, this July, man. It, uh, we have a couple of uh, potential commitments that might pop, you know, here. Um, but uh, it's going to be, you know, this is probably going to be a week here where we don't have a podcast. Uh, kind of have to just float that out there because, you know, it's uh, it's really They're throwing a tantrum time. right now. They're throwing I know. There's right a, we're going we're we're to ease into that. Dry. You just threw it out there. Shorter episode and now you're threatening us with new podcasts. But yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, we're, we, we might uh, actually take a break at some point as well. So yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, what happens. It's a uh, kind of a week to week thing for us, but you know, we don't want to sit here just um, rehashing a bunch of old stuff that we've already talked about, which, you know, even in this podcast, there was some rehashing a little bit with uh, Braylon Connolly and, and things of that nature. So got to let it breathe. Got to let it breathe sometimes. Yeah. It's definitely a, a better show when we have things to talk about. And so we don't want to just make things up and start uh, pontificating on things that uh, they're really not that important. Bonus points for using the word pontificating. But until next time, whenever that may be, I'm Chris. That is Gerard. And you've been listening to Composite Two Star Recruits. Yeah, Leopard sucks!